Hey, yo, hey, yo, hey, yo. hey, it's Elliot Wilson from Rap Radar. And me and my partner, B. Miller. And you know we got the premiere website out there, rapradar.com. And now we're about to take over the podcast game. We're going to sit down with the culture's most important voices and give you that news and information, that opinion. The only opinion that matters, man, here at Rap Radar. Listen up. Here we go. Rap Radar Podcast, Elliot Wilson. B. Dot. What's up, baby? Feeling good, feeling great. How are you? We won't stop delivering these episodes, man. We got legendary executives this week. We got young artists kicking it and making noise like the homie Drum last episode. Yep. And now we got, man, this young executive, man, out here, man. When you think of Travis Scott, you think of YG, their last albums, you got to blame this man, whether you liked it or loved it, man. Sycamore's in the building. Sycamore, what up, baby? Sycamore. We need that drop. (laughs) What's up, gentlemen? (laughs) You know what? I don't even have it anymore. What? Yeah, I got to go pull that up. That was classic. What was your man. drops? Uh, the master at work, right? That was the drop. What was the drop you had? The instrumental uh, ones. It was Sycamore, and it had uh, "You're in a privileged oh, position." Oh, privi- yeah. yeah, you're yeah. in a privileged position to learn a thing or two. Yeah, keep your mouth shut and your eyes open. From Denzel. Yes, yeah, sir, man. The good old days. So, the people that don't know, Sycamore was a mixtape king in the New York circuit. Yo, how did you avoid beef with like crazy ass the K slays and the other I, mixtape dudes? And <laughs> I didn't really avoid it. You know, that was just part of the game. You know, yeah. but at the time when I first started, I was 16, 17 years old, correct? I'm out of Brooklyn, so... Right. I, that, I, really, I really forget how young you were. Like, that's crazy. Yeah, it's like, you know, when I um, when I, when I, when I worked for you at Double XL, I was 19. <laughs> I was 19. You know, and it, like, at that point, I don't know anything. Like, I didn't have anybody in music. I'm Trinidadian, you know, so my family grew up listening to gospel and Calypso and R&B. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So everything was new to me. Every single day was new. So nobody was going to tell me I couldn't do something. I was just showing up. I didn't care because I just wanted to get on. Yeah, you were also known for, you know, your overnight series and uh, I'll Make You Famous, but the instrumentals, why did you focus on those so much? The instrumentals was the only thing that was important to the to the people like my consu- custom base for instrumentals mm-hmm. were people who wanted to get on so you gotta think 2003 2004 2005 2002 instrumentals and beats were hot like yeah. 50 cent was hot so yep. when people bought my instrumentals they were buying that to complete their albums pretty much yeah, yeah. you know mm-hmm. what I mean they were buying that to complete their record they needed to write their raps they needed to write and practice yeah. and my instrumentals I had a niche with people who bought them cause I didn't do loops I went and f- mm-hmm. I found a producer I went and found the vinyl and made sure I had like, the real instrumental with the drops in it, with the transitions. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So, you know, people knew the difference quality-wise. So I really treated it that serious because if somebody had $5, $10 at the time and they're an artist and they had to like buy a sandwich or buy my CD, mm. they're going to buy my CD because yeah. they feel like that's an investment in their future versus all the other mixtapes were kind of like, um, you know, just for fun. Yeah. And you, so you would personally, like, what were some producers you would reach out personally and, try, and they would just give you their beats, the yeah, whole arrangement? Yeah, like, heat makers, you know what I mean? Yeah. Get, they gave me some joints. Uh, <laughs> self-service mm. gave me some joints, you know what I mean? A lot of people, like Buck Wild, a lot of those guys. You know, really what I do now, doing the A&R, is no different than what I did then. Securing beats. Because I secured <laughs> beats and I, uh, I tried to make people famous, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But so I remember it, you were saying in one of the early stories with somebody when you stopped being embraced, I think Fab reached out to you, right? And you brought him all these instrumentals and then he was like, you got some real beats too? Like, Fab, <laughs> Fab was the first one. You know, growing up in Brooklyn, Fabulous was everything, especially in my age group, you yeah. know what I mean? So like when I was in high school, Fab was now coming up. He was going to do the clue tapes, the freestyles, 99, 2000. Yep. He had like the big Aaron's, the Jordans, everything. Yeah. So like Fab was like, <laughs> Fab and Shine. Yeah. were like two gods yeah. in Brooklyn because Jay-Z was obviously and so it was like Biggie but Biggie had just passed and Jay-Z already generation made generation wise yeah, yeah, yeah so like Shine and Fab were like the two coolest people to me in the whole world <laughs> <laughs> as far as like money goes like when you were hustling these mixtapes what was that like at the time 
Um, I'll break it down. Like, so when I first started, I started with like 20 CDs, 25 CDs. So I'm downtown Brooklyn, mm-hmm. Canal Street, and they were like 250 a pop. Canal mm-hmm. was maybe like $2 a pop. So then after a while, I started doing 400 CDs, 800 CDs, and a DJ named Action Pack cut me a deal. Where Action he Pack, all my man. That. He had wow. tapes too, right? Yeah, get, get Money pack. Nation, you know? Yeah, DJ get SNS, yeah. Todd Boogie, you know? Damn. And I was, I was like the kid that they, they embraced. The youngin'. Yeah, yeah, and I was like, oh, look at Sycamore. This, like, you know, let's help him out. <laughs> the little light skinned kid. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> so I was in, that's why I really got on to Harlem, 115th and 5th. I used to go up there all the time to get my CDs. So I'd like, say, like, at the peak of it, the way the money worked, I'd probably do like two to five thousand CDs per CD. And he would sell them wholesale for about average around two fifty, two seventy five. Wow! And he would drop like one or two a month. I see that doing the math. I see that doing the math. I'm trying to calculate. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like it was, it had a lot so that's of money. What, like there. ten stacks a month, something like that. It was, you know, I, I didn't keep good books back then. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? But yeah. it was like it, I was doing okay. <laughs> but that, but it's all dangerous, right? Because this is like not pr- for promotional use only. It's a bootleg market. Like until what until was the energy like it, it didn't get dangerous on the. Uh, well, here's the dangers of doing mixtapes. Like until it didn't get dangerous with the with the cops until drama and cannon went down. Mm. Yeah. But by that time, I was already out. I was already got the job. You know. But before that, it got dangerous with like people who didn't want you to play certain records. If you play a record yeah. that was dissing somebody, you might get more sales. But then you might get your leg broken. And that was and you know you, there was no protection back then. There was no Instagram. Like yeah. and and the streets that you have to sell your mixtapes on. Downtown Brooklyn, Canal Street, 14th Street, 125th, 145th, Fordham Road, Queens Plaza, yeah. 165th. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like these are not like normal things you got to do. So yeah, like, you're, in the, you're in the hustle with the with the hood and with these artists that go around those areas too. Yeah, right? so yeah. yeah, so you're part of the you're part of the, the ethos. You're part of the, the stream. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? So you can get you, touched. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's, it's no hiding. So you have to really you have to really keep be careful. With, so did you put these songs in, and put yourself in that position, or did you try to avoid them yourself? I mean, sometimes you got to take your risk. Yeah. What's one like you put on there like you, it was kind of controversial at the time oh man there's one of them if I tell you about I'll probably just it'll just open up old wounds you know what I mean <laughs> <laughs> but what's like the most controversial one I remember I had like in the club really early wow that man. was really good I remember I went in the snow and got that one and I got to get from like connect and like me and Action Pack played that on our mixtape like first and that was good because we ended up selling like 2,500 like right off the first just put day. a lot of drops on it and stuff put a lot of drops in it <laughs> I think like K-Slayer somebody had a second or something that was like a big yeah. one wow but what was the this thing Is this, it was too personal yeah man it's like some of the stuff I, I used to play back then like they was still like these people are still around and it's kind of like yeah. everything's cool now but at yeah. the time it was just like so bad that you played it like I mean I'll tell you I'll tell you around the story I'll tell you everything about the story and if you can piece it together you can piece it together <laughs> <laughs> that's what the internet lives for <laughs> right <laughs> so like one time like you know when I was first coming up I got these records and it was like a crew and they were starting like beef with each other like internally but people didn't really know so one guy started beefing them and I started playing records on him and then they were like, I got like a warning, like you know what I mean, don't don't play those records. And I got like a little shaken up too, like you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So somebody else in the crew started beefing. I got hold of that one. I was the only person to play either of those records. The second time I got a warning, like yo man, you're gonna get your leg broken out here, like a guarantee, like you're gonna get hurt, you're gonna get like fucked up. Like the exact quote was, you're gonna get your leg broken. Mm. You know what I mean? And I I was like, man, this is probably gonna happen. I, and those guys who did it, you know, they got a good track record. 
You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So, like, I really believed it, you know, and, and um, but, you know, luckily, you know, I'm still walking. <laughs> <laughs> so, th- was that the transition? Like, I don't want to do this show. I want to get to the label side, or was that <laughs> something you always strive to do? No, nah, the transition, it kind of happened naturally. Like, you know, my f- I had an old manager named Animal Steel. He was like, yo, you'd be a great... Animal Steel? His name was popping up, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah he's like, he he's he's like, you should be an A&R. Like, you're like, a, you'd be a great A&R. And I'm 18 years old. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. So, what's the A&R do? He's like, well, he finds beats, he finds artists. So, okay, cool, so I'm going to be A&R. So I started getting like a series of little independent A&R jobs starting at Beat Street Records downtown Brooklyn. Mm, wow. Clark Kent was the A&R, and then they made me the A&R. And Clark used to give me a lot of advice about A&R, and I just took that heavy. They gave me like a little office in Beat Street. Wow. I was dating one of the girls there. <laughs> <laughs> I was like 18, I had an office. They gave me, I got $600 like every two weeks, I think it was. Nice. I was like, okay, cool, I'm on, you know? Yeah. What was the best advice Clark gave you? Um, you just, just stay in it. You know what yeah. I mean? Just stay in it. Like, don't get too far removed just because you got a gig. Like, just stay all the way in it because the further far removed you get, that's when you lose it. Yeah, yeah. And then after Clark, after B Street, you know, Just Blaze gave me an opportunity to to A and R for his record label. Yeah. Um, and he's like, find me an artist and I'll and I'll start. Mm. And I found him an artist. I found him Saigon. Yeah. And then I used to just come up the baseline every single day. And then to bro Saigon, that was the first project I worked on. That was the first time I was in the studio, going yeah. hard, like just learning. Like I would just walk in there and just see him in the studio with great people, and I would just be like, in baseline, oh. right? In the baseline days, in right? baseline. Like, and it would be like, you know, Rockefeller artists. This is like post Black album, so it's like mm. kind of like that era. So it's not yeah. prime time yeah, Rockefeller, yeah. yeah, yeah. But it had like the future. Like it had like a Jay Electronica just sitting on the couch playing video games, chilling. Like you know what I mean? He like, was there at the time. Yeah, he's been around for a while. Wow, huh. you know what I mean? Like it was. He's was trying to get on like cats. No, no, him and Just had a relationship early. Okay, Jay was never like a thirsty artist. He mm. was never somebody like yo. Just please listen to me. He always had. A confidence yeah. to him from from even back then, and you yeah. pushed just to be an executive, right? You was like in his ear, like Kanye's beating you, Jay's retiring. Yeah, what you gonna do? Because I met him on tour, so like you <laughs> know what I mean. I, I was just because this guy, like I'm trying to paint the picture for the time. Like Jay Z just retired, and Kanye really starting a bubble in college dropouts just about like to 03 drop. Three to oh four, right? Yeah, right, yeah. Right, and right. up until then, Just Blaze was always the top. It was always Just Blaze and Kanye. Just yep. Blaze had the name. He had the, the drop. Kanye didn't have a drop. <laughs> <laughs> just Blaze? Yeah, right. so like, so in that time, Kanye, that's when Kanye finally started to pass Just. So that's like kind of how I got in his head. Like, yo, can you, can you, like, you know, this guy's going to blow by you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, he kind of just told me that kind of to brush me off, I think. He's like, if you find an artist, I'll start a record label. I had a name <laughs> and everything. So I don't know if he's really, really serious or not, but you get an opportunity like that at 18, 19 years old, you're going to take it. Yeah. And I called Saigon, and I was like, Saigon yo. was already bubbling a little bit, He right? was bubbling. You know, he was working with um, Gotti from The Source. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember right, Gotti. Right, right, Shout right. out to Gotti. Gotti yeah. from The Source used to show me a lot of love. Like, back that back in those days, anybody used to come and, like, show me love. I used to love going there, like, um... Gotti from this. a lot of journalists showed me a lot of love. Yeah, Leo Rose, Leo Rose, Gotti. you know what I mean. <laughs> Leo Rose, like, like. So she, that was your connection. Yeah, that's music journalist. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Cause my dad's a journalist. Oh, so dope. I got I got a lot of right. a lot of respect for journalism. I got a lot of respect for editorial. I got a lot of respect for magazines. You know what I mean. He grew up doing B two B business technology uh, journalism his whole life, and he yeah. was one of the only black writers in tech. His whole life, wow. so in the '80s and '90s, he grew up listening, uh, writing about Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, everything, and you know, and he'd be in a lot of rooms in San Francisco, Palo Alto, where he's the only black journalist. You know, mm, and he crazy. had to move around. So you know, journalists don't make the most money. No, no. But you know, he had to. You know, when you, when you when you're a black man in, in corporate in any kind of corporate, you gotta be exceptional 
to stay around. Right, you can't exactly. be like average. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. You got to be like the best or you're, or you're out of there. Yeah. So like I always had a lot of respect for journalism. Yeah. So then you bring Saigon to just what was that trend? Did they click right away? Like They click right away. Yeah. You know, I played him some records. I called Saigon like, yo, can you get up here? He's like, hell yeah, I can get up here. Yeah. He was moving from his house out of Jersey to New York to Brooklyn and he just left that left the movie and came to the studio they started recording just gave him a few beats he came back and wrote yeah. to it they worked together like that for eight months got a chemistry going and boom they signed Atlantic Records through um, G and Hip Hop's uh, Hip Hop's in 1978 yeah. and Just Blaze stayed on as executive producer yeah. and like boom that was like kind of like my first claim to fame was it yeah. True Life under your watch too? so what happened after that like that was also my first real dose of the music business because mm. then since Justice deal was like you get paid when you're like an A&R Right, mm -hmm. I know when we get distribution, since he had an executive producer deal, technically it's not like a label deal, so there's yeah. no overhead to pay. But you know, mm -hmm. at 19 years old, you're just like, damn, y'all got money, man. I don't got no money, like you know what I mean? You ain't break me off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was like, fuck this. So I left, and then um, you know, I, True, True was around at the time. I met him through Psy, and then he was like, yo, you know, let's like, like let's let's do something, let's rock. And he had this song um, called The New New York. Yeah, I remember that. And the song, I just thought it was the greatest song. So I, like, I wrote like this plan out, this like 11-page plan out to him. And then he's like, okay. 11-page <laughs> plan? <laughs> and he's like, report. Yeah, like, I, I did everything like that, man. Because, you know, he, my, I had a lawyer, Michael Guido, and he told me. Oh, yeah, me, he's big dude. He was a lawyer, right? Yeah. He, and I used to just go and see him and get a lot of advice. And I think in retrospect, people just told me as a young kid so I think people used to just give me a lot of advice because they thought I was like Unde underestimate you yeah. no no they thought oh. they thought they thought it was like like oh this 18 19 year old he's like Husky. I didn't be like hey you know I'm a kid I used to be like what's up you know yeah, yeah, so yeah. They, I used to get a lot of these big guys giving me advice and Guido gave me great advice he said you know what's going to be the difference between you and a lot of hip-hop guys you could put stuff on paper a lot of like you know he's yeah. like a lot of executives they, they just have a great mouthpiece post yeah. mm -hmm. like he's like they you, can't spell they can't put their thoughts together if you, you can have a great idea but if you can't put it on paper you know the people who really cut the checks people who really get the mm -hmm. budgets they won't be able to see it so mm -hmm. my talent when he told me that I realized my talent was be able to put things on paper mm -hmm. and when you play, put things on paper and you present it the right way mm -hmm. then you get on and that's how I got everything every sponsorship everything I was be able to put it on paper and not just talking how did, wow. how did True Life connect to that? You think he was excited? We, we had a doing? plan. Like, you know, and one thing that it's always been with artists that I work with is, like, they just need a plan. People always underestimate artists. They underestimate what artists did to get there. They underestimate all, like, the, the shows and the maneuvering and how smart they have to be in their career and then they art to get to the point that you even heard of them mm. yeah. to make it off their block, yeah. you know? Yeah. So if they see a plan that might work, you know what I mean? They'll yeah. be with you. You yeah. know, as long as you treat them like a partner, right. yeah. treat them like a, the smart people that they are. Yeah. You know, like some, the artists that I work with, are some of the, in my whole career, has been some of the most creative, smartest people. That I felt like if they were just straight executives, then music or anything, they could be Fortune yeah. 500 CEOs. So, what do you think you've always added to those relationships to get the best out of them? What 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 is the gift that you have that adds to what they're already doing? Our belief, and I listen. Mm. You know, like I think that a lot of times people always want to go there to, to artists and be like, this is what you got to do. You got to do like this. You got to do like that. But if you just kind of listen to what the artist is saying, they're going to give you the best advice. So it works like this. Like if, like, like if me and you be that we start a project, like we're working, you're going to tell me something like, you know what? I want to go and really revitalize the boot bat part of the era in New York, but I want to do it with a newer sound, right? Mm -hmm. That's our mission statement, Right. And from that point, now me, now I'm going to hold you to that mission statement, mm -hmm. and me and you are going to work together to get to that goal. How are we going to get there? 
we're gonna figure out together. We might argue, we might come out, we might go through the wrong roads. Right. But that mission statement never really changes. Yeah. And after we come up with that, they need somebody to stick in with them. Like, okay, cool, every single day. So it's not no, it's not no crazy musical thing. Like, you know, I, I know music pretty well, but it's really about the togetherness with the artists that I stay in. I don't break until we deliver. So whether we drop a mixtape, a single, an album, yeah. we're going to be in it until that vision is completed. Yeah, I mean, I think the best example is YG's first album, you know, which we all felt was the best album of that year and, like, oh. how, how, how cinematic that record is and how cohesive that record is. Like, talk about that and the mission of putting that project together. So YG already had, like, a really strong base. You know, and Joey Manda introduced us when I first got that job at uh, Def Jam, you know, and he introduced me, him, and B-More, which is his manager, and uh, we were just kind of, like, trying to get to know each other for the first few months, you know? Mm -hmm. And we really started hitting a groove with his song, Bompton, mm. right? And then he played in Bompton, and, he was, and I told him, like, that's my favorite song from you, and he's like, that's my favorite song, too. And I was like, boom. After that, I was like, stepbrothers. Did we just become best friends? <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, we just started talking about albums and kicking ideas and stuff like that. And just like, we started trying to record in L.A. But when you record in L.A., you know, there's like a lot of like stuff, especially really from L.A. It's like a lot of, especially in the gang, like yeah. gang affiliation. Mm. There's a lot of things. Like in New York, it's kind of like a solo thing. People kind of rock around and move on their own. In Los Angeles, like you grew up in a neighborhood, people always diss these guys for being gang affiliated, but you really don't have a choice mm. when you're in L.A. Like, you know what I mean? So like you have to deal with bullshit. You got to deal with head people. You got to deal with jail people. You got to deal with homies. You got to deal with politics. You got to deal with stuff whether you're a rapper or artist a businessman you're just gonna have to deal with it just being that's your environment right. no matter what so yeah. the, the number one thing was to get out that environment so we could focus 100% yeah. and that was in Atlanta and then from Atlanta you know he lived on the second floor and the fourth floor of these corporate apartments and then from 6 to 6 every day 6pm to 6am we'd be in the studio from Monday to Thursday and during the day we'd play all our records over discuss it listen to albums do <laughs> things like it would be like a, a real business like a corporation kind yeah of and, and Friday through Sunday we would have the time off because you have to like live your life too you right. know get inspiration so that was kind of like the protocol, and we did that for two months. And, you know, I, I didn't really move around Atlanta real nice, so I was kind of bored out there. So I just watched movies all day. I was focused on this all day. He was focused on this all day. Yeah. And then after two months, you know, we finished pretty much My Crazy Life, um, the structure. Yeah. We talked about story structure. And Jeezy was a huge part of it because Jeezy was like, you know, because I had never put out an album before at that point, a major, li a major label mm -hmm. album. So I was working on it like, yo, if I never put out another major label album, I might as well make it count. Yeah, this, <laughs> right. ha this has right. to represent you as much as anybody, right? Yeah, yeah. like I'm gonna make it dope. Like you know what I mean? Because that's I, I still come from a culture of like you know the source five mics. Like yeah. you know what I mean? Like my my main my main my main thing is like I just never want to be whack. Right. Like yeah. anything I want to do, I never want to be and whack. You like to prove people wrong. I like to prove people wrong. I don't want to be like like when I go outside. Like I was in um what was I? I was gonna I was gonna haircut a Remington today, <laughs> mm -hmm. and like Travis Scott Apple Pie came on. I was in Kith, and then they play like uh, some song of still was still brazy. That's, <laughs> that's how I get off. You know right, 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 right. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I I'm like I know people always talk about this culture, 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 but if that's yeah. that's the truth. Like I'm part of hip hop culture. My name is Sycamore. I have a nickname. Like my business cards don't have parentheses. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like that's that's how I'm. Gonna go until I'm out of here. Yeah. Like if I'm ever this chairman of a company, I'm always gonna be Sycamore and that's my hip hop name. Yeah. And I, I really respect that I got it from from mixtapes. So 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 when I that that's what I care about. So like when I work on these albums, I really just care about people like saying it is dope, saying it's hard. Like when I drop mixtapes, if people didn't buy it, it would like bring me down because I was like, oh it's not dope. Right. Yeah, yeah. So if people not talking about it, if people not playing it, if they're not on Snapchat, if girls are not talking about it, if like reviews aren't coming in, mm, yeah. like then um, then I feel bad, but luckily the last four albums I worked on, Rodeo, Still Brazy, um, 
Rodeo So Brazy My Crazy Life and Birds in the Trap Sing McKnight all got really great responses yeah. so I'm feeling, I'm feeling good but with My that, Crazy Life yeah. Um, yeah. the first YG album like people compared it to Kendrick's first album yep. was that really a blueprint or was it just a kind of a coincidence of how things worked out I mean you, you had to be inspired by Kendrick you know that's probably one of the best albums to come out in the last five years period mm. any genre you know what I mean and he's right there so hit, ours is more of an inverse you know if, mm. if Kendrick was like you know, if Kendrick's album was a guy in the house, YG was out the house. Right. You know what I mean? But yeah. you think about it, if they both grew up in Compton, how different are their lives really going to be? Right. Yeah. How different They're are still seeing <laughs> the same things, experience the same things. Yeah, they're the same. They're both on Rosecrans. They both have homies. They both, they both you know, affiliated. It's not going to be a big difference there as far as that. It's just mm-hmm. the way you tell your story. You know but, what I mean? but is that the challenge? Because then people could say, well, that just sounds like... It could easily then be dismissed as, oh, that's just a Kendrick album knockoff. Or it's like you, you're well, facing that challenge of, of showing that there's originality to telling well, the story a different way. I think we told it a different way. I think that our story was a, a lot different. I think that a lot of those records weren't like Kendrick records. And I think that Kendrick jumping on the album and doing a song like Really Be yeah. was like a stamp. Like, you know, if, when, when Kendrick jumped on that record, we gave him the whole album. Mm. And... We told him, like, hey, whatever song you want to jump on, jump on. <laughs> oh, wow. So he had every record on My Crazy Life, and he picked Really Be to jump on. Yeah. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Artists like Kendrick, you know, these generational artists, they're not going to go for that. They feel like somebody's, like, trying to take their joint. Yeah, yeah, he understood yeah. the difference between us, you know? like, yeah. And I think it's kind of a bias when it comes to the South. It's like, kind of like a New York bias. Yeah. Like, they could be 100 artists from Brooklyn. They could mm. be 100 artists from Queensbridge. They could be 100 artists from the Bronx. And we don't be like, oh, you're trying to make a story like that. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Mm. Like, nature's story is going to be closer uh, to Nas's story. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, we don't we don't ever pigeonhole them because the two artists came out from Compton. We're like, oh, well, you guys are so close. Yeah. I, I think, like, you know what I mean? Like, we never compared, like, you know, the, the Wu-Tang, like, like, like Supreme, not Supreme Clientele. You never compared, like, how close, like, Illmatic is the reasonable doubt versus yeah, yeah. Raekwon, right, you know what right. I mean? Like to yeah. Iron Man, like we never really did that as much. So I think structure wise, it was a lot different. I think sonically, it was totally different. Yeah. I think ours were more upbeat, more club. Yeah. And I think I think Kendrick's album was one of phenomenal. What do, you, what do you think is special about YG though as an artist and working with him so closely? Because I mean, obviously, someone like Kendrick, they can say, "Well, Kendrick is so lyrical. He's so X Y Z. It's easy to pinpoint." I feel like people still don't really understand the range or or a talent of what makes YG as, a, as an artist, as an MC special? Like, can you kind of break down what you think it is about him that makes him unique? And I think the thing that makes YG the most unique is the fact that he's always learning. You mm. know, like, he never just accepted who he was, what he does, you know? Like, he was making, like, um, he, I mean, not, what's that sound? It was out, like, doing, like, the, the jerk. He was yeah, part yeah, of the yeah. jerk movement when he right, came right. out. Yep, yep. Then him and Mustard originated their own sound, which has turned into, like, the Mustard YG sound. Yep. And then he really improved uh, as a storyteller on My Crazy Life, telling people, pe- a lot of people, the reason why My Crazy Life is so big, people didn't expect him to really be that in detail as storytelling. I'm one of those people. Mm-hmm. I, thought, yeah. I, was, I thought I was going to get tooted and booted again. That's yeah. why I was apprehensive of getting the album initially. That's what I think was unique about it. I think that you guys were building something where you were holding such a high standard that you're trying to make a classic rap album. At the end of the day, people probably were questioning, could YG even make a full album? You yeah, know what I'm like, saying? Like, like at the time, you know, the label was just happy if we got the album out. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> yeah. like for us, it's just kind of like we had nothing to lose. But when you work under the guise of like, of a classic, because there's a few different ways you go in the studio. You could be like, yo, we need to get 12 songs done, right? <laughs> and then after we get the first, let's do 20, pick the best 12, and put it out. Right. And then let's do it again in six months and drop part two. Or you could go in there with an idea. You could go in there like, okay, cool. This is the idea because my crazy life was originally called I'm From Bompton. 
Mm-hmm. And then when you're from making an echo from I'm from Bompton, it has a feel to it. Certain records you can't do. You can't do like a playhouse record on I'm from Bompton. So, you know, Jeezy was the one who came into the studio and was like, yo, man, you're going to sell two copies if you name it I'm from Bompton. <laughs> <laughs> so YG, we have to really think about it. And we was like, okay, cool. Uh, we need a new name. And then YG came up with My Crazy Life. He was like, I'm calling My Crazy Life, but crazy with a K. Yeah. You know, and then boom, and automatically, creatively, that opens up a lot more stuff mm-hmm. we could do because yeah. now you're talking about our life. Had Be- my had my nigga hit before that, or that was already going on? I'm from Bompton. The idea for my nigga was from I'm from Bompton. Big and Back Being Bull was from I'm from Bompton. Uh, those records were I'm from Bompton. Yeah. Most of the other records were all my crazy life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I just want to party. BPT. Sorry, Mama. Those are all my crazy life records. Like, think, if you think yeah. about it, my crazy life, Bompton, and BPT is like the story, like the idea of that song was like, what would it feel like? What does it feel like to get jumped in a gang? Mm. Right? And no one's ever told that. And that's what we came in the first verse. So he told left. Uh, right. You know what I mean? Right, like, right. that was yeah. the story, and that's how BPT You're came right up. in it, right away. And we wanted to make, and sonically, we, we were challenging Mustard. Mustard was challenging himself to, to beat Bompton. So we were trying to beat Bompton sonically while I tell the story you got jumping in a gang and that's how they came in. Yeah. So a lot of times we would conceptually come up with a record. Or like one record was like um Me and My Bitch. That was a record that was like, you know, you're very you know, one of one of uh one of YG's big lines at the time was because uh, my ex was a bopper, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it was like, Well, we gotta tell people why you're so misogynistic, right? So he made me and my bitch. Like he's like, mm. this is the story why I'm like this, and that's how it came out. And then we was able to put it there. Yeah. So the whole thing is almost like writing a script, yeah. but just with some music. You called it a western, right? To you, it's a western. Yeah, like to me, I look at it like movies. Like you know, hip hop. My mentor, he um he always taught me to like our jobs are like coaches and directors. Mm. So to my hip hop, uh, Kamba Joshua. Yeah, Kamba Hip Hop Joshua. You know, like you know Jay Z ain't on, and he yep. found uh, Kanye. He's like. Our job is like, like closest to coaches and directors. You know, coaches as far as your relationship with the talent, and directors as far as managing the whole experience. Like a director has to manage the studio. The director has to manage the talent, the cinematographers, the editors. Everybody has their own ego and they have mm-hmm. their own idea how it should be. And you're in control. So people are like I could be a director, but people don't understand that being a director has more to do with relationships than it has to do behind the camera. Mm-hmm. And when you're dealing with a coach, you know, we study coaches because coaches have systems. You know what I mean? So we study, like, Greg Popovich. You know what I mean? We study, <laughs> like, Phil Jackson. Right. You know what I mean? We study, like, different coaches in different fields, Tom Coughlin, Belichick, and take principles that they use and apply to managing talent on this end. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Managing director styles. You know what I mean? Like, uh, Woody Allen's style yeah. versus, like, Clint Eastwood's style yeah. and how we could apply that versus Stanley Kubrick's style versus Scorsese's style. And like you know, in that way, we could incorporate those kind of themes, mm-hmm. and then use it for a record. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. a lot of our references come more from movies and sports than it even does from music. Yeah. So what's your role currently now with Epic Records? With Epic, I'm vice president A and R and creative director. Okay. What does that mean? Um, what does that mean? You know, first I got a shout out to L.A. Reid. You know, um, I'll tell you the story of how I got to Epic. Okay. So after. You know, my crazy life had the success. We had, you know, uh, Who Do You Love, my nigga. Mm-hmm. Then we had uh, Don't Tell Him with Jeremiah and right. Little Dirk. Like I really love this thing, What You Want, and some of the records that he put out. You know, um, I was down in Miami for the Revolt Music Conference. Ooh, it was coming up now. Yeah, right. yeah. So this was last year or two, two years ago? Two years ago, the first year. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. And um, I went down there, 
and I was invited down by uh, uh, Neil Dominique and Dana from Revolt, and it's like, yo, want you want you want to be on the panel? Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. And it's like, well, you have like an hour to let us know, and <laughs> you have to pay for your own way to get down there. Yeah. Oh man, and, 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 Neil, and we, Neil Dominique is Bryson Tiller's manager. Bryson Tiller's like, manager, yeah. yeah. And uh, it was like, and he was helping put it together. Hmm. And he's like, you got about an hour to let me know. So I called him back in half an hour and let him know. Like, I'm, I'm going to be down there. And then he, <laughs> he was like, uh, I can't tell you it was on a panel, but you're going to be happy. Hmm. So I was like, okay, cool. So I'm down there. Like, you know what I mean? And I, I was like, okay, cool. Like, I'm, I'm a little stressed out. Like, work was stressing me out a little hmm. bit. And then I get down there and I see, like, the, the panel. And it's like DJ Khaled. <laughs> Craig Calman, chairman of Atlantic Records. Anthony, Anthony Soleil, right? Was he there too? Mm, no, he was on oh. a different panel. He was oh, okay. there on a different panel. Yeah, yeah. Larry Jackson, Apple, you know what I <laughs> mean? Wow. Uh, L.A. Reid, chairman of Epic Records. Ooh. And me. I was like, ooh. This ain't no mixtape right here. Uh, we made it, you know what I mean? You're in a privileged position. <laughs> so, For real. I was nervous as hell. <laughs> you know wow. what I mean? No, but you shined in it. I remember it was playing like audio clips. Like you was breaking down who do you love and how guys work so hard just even on that one particular record right yeah but it, it, the process of me to get that I was cool up there it was a process because like the night before like I went to bed like at 10 I woke up like 5 o'clock in the morning I, like I rode a bike to the beach in Miami <laughs> I sat on the beach I looked at the sunrise I went with my mentor my mentor was staying down the block at, uh, and I went to hip hop mm-hmm. I started talking to him for like 2 hours he was giving me a <laughs> bunch of jewels like I was I was like trying to prepare because I know everybody else was just like they had like they had they had credentials, mm-hmm. and I yeah. got a couple. I, at the time, I had a couple hot records. Yeah, but you know these guys, you know, got Grammys. They got best new album. They got best album. They got hits. So yeah. when I got up there, I realized that a lot of the other people were talking about the state of the music business on the A and R panel, and no one was talking about about creating records. So I was, mm-hmm. and I was up there. I was like, okay, cool. My angle is going to be actively how I'm working on records that are on the radio, and I'm going to tell stories of how people. Um, how I made these records and me yep. and LA really started to bond over the record making process because I think a lot of times people get so obsessed with the music business mm. that they get lost in the music and the creative mm. and we're not in music because we're the smartest businessmen any of us we're in music for the culture of mm. it you know and, and the art mm. and the art like you know what I mean like the guy in JP Morgan who runs JP Morgan I might not be able to read a, a fiscal report like him but I know he can't listen to him and break down an album like me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I, I think a lot of times in music, we underestimate ourselves and we don't play to our strengths. Yeah. You know what I mean? As creatives, as, as dope people, as fun who grew up listening to everything. Like, like, like we're making music. Like, Rap Radar is, is representing hip-hop at the highest level in the whole world. Mm. And hip-hop, somebody told me one time, and I agree with them, hip-hop's more influential than Shakespeare. Because Shakespeare's like, you know what I mean? You got to um, damn near speak English to, right. to, to really do it. Hip-hop, you go to you go to Europe, and it's like the 80s. Graffiti, <laughs> breakdancing. Right. You know, so like, when you do something like a, a Rap Radar podcast, you're listening to hip-hop at the highest possible level. You know, you listen to guys like B.Dot Elliot Wilson. You know, I'm talking about like... No, you think about it for real. I'm not trying to gas it, but I'm trying to you're put it... you giving us some good drops, though. <laughs> I, I want to put it... Oh, so you got those? You got those? Okay, okay. I want to put it in perspective. It's like, no. we, we're, we're the top blood. There's no higher level than this. This is this is LeBron James. You know what I'm saying? This is this is this is this is the highest level of people doing hip hop. There's kids out there who's listening to these podcasts, who's listening to these albums, are gonna they're 14, 15, 16 years old, and they're gonna mold they're gonna mold their whole future off of what we do. Like yes, when sir. I was growing yes, up, sir. I was reading your I was reading your uh, editorials from like Double XL. I'm reading yeah. everything about it, all the wine and stuff. So like yeah. But they, then you found a way to get yourself in that building. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like so, the, so I don't I, so I don't take anything I, don't, I take everything I take the work that I don't take myself serious 
mm-hmm. but I definitely take the work serious. Yeah. So, so I told Wade to go back to Revolt. Yeah, Revolt you said yeah. with LA, I think that the way you were describing things, like who, like who do you love, for example, and how to make certain records, I'm sure that made LA feel like, wow, this guy really gets it, or like I'm attracted to what he's saying there, and that that leads to this opportunity. That was our bond. You know, my yeah. job interview was on that stage. Was that your first time meeting him? Yep. Oh wow. It was the first time. I was talking about the record-making process, talking about what it is to work with artists and producers in the studio, what it is about competing. You know, like when you're in the studio, you hear a lot of artists. Like I had a meeting with an artist yesterday, these new kids from my neighborhood in Crown Heights, right? Mm -hmm. And they were like playing me some records, and they were like, then they said, play, say the comment, like, oh, these are the records we really like, right? Mm -hmm. And they played me kind of like more hip-hop records, and it kind of made me cringe. You know what I mean? Like, because the other records were good, but they were like more commercial. But then it was like, these are like, they were making that just to make commercial records. Yeah. They weren't making that to be like the dopest artist. And I had to tell them, like, you got to figure out a way to make a compromise. You got to make a way yeah. to make your your style into the ones that you want to play. You mm. know, and I think a lot of times when people go in the studio, they go in the studio for the wrong reasons. They go in the studio because they want to make a hit. They want to be famous. But if you make a record that you don't really believe in and it pops, you're trapped in that record. Mm. Like, I'll give you an example, right? David Banner. David Banner is one of the smartest people who ever come out of hip-hop. But because he came in the game with, like, like a pimp, it pigeonholes him, so when he performs it, he almost has to, like, yeah. backtrack because he's trapped in that record. Mm. You know what I mean? So that how may you, have represented a moment, but it's not really who he really right, is right. as a person. Yeah, so you got to be careful. When you're a young artist coming up, how are you going to present yourself? Because you don't want to make a record because it's hot and you get trapped. You don't want to go do a Metro record, doing whatever you got to do, and then that's not really you. You really want to rap like common sense. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> right. And then, and then you, you, you can't get out of that trap forever. So I think that talking about the, the music making process versus just talking about the business where we bonded yeah. in LA. And LA, just like working with him is just magical. Like I read his book, like watching him move, like watching a man who's been on top of his game for 25, 30 years as yeah. a producer, as a black executive, as a chairman, you know what I mean? That's not an easy job to have. Like, right. I mean, look right. around, how many black chairmans and presidents are there outside of Epic? Yeah. You know what I mean? Sylvia Rones, who's on top of the game for a long, long time. Yep. So me working there is awesome because it's like, I get to deal with like two of the uh, the greatest, two Hall of Famers, two first ballot Hall of Famers on a, on a day-to-day oh, basis. African-American executives. African-American so, yeah. executives that can yeah. give you perspective that other executives would never be able to give you because, you know, you got ask questions and no one else can answer. And, you know, and, and after that, it's just like, you know, after they leave, then who? Yeah. Right, but but you still was dealt a, a, a tough hand though because the first assignment is okay. Travis Scott, some guy who's obviously fiercely creative, you know what I mean. Like, how do you hone that guy in, and how do you put out a full get a full album from him? I so that t- was your first big challenge, right? So let me tell you the story. So I knew Travis actually before I knew YG, right? Mm. Uh, when I was like, I used to go up to Warner Brothers every day to uh, Joey Manor's office and Todd Moskowitz when yeah. they were heads of Warner, yeah. and I was just trying to get on, just listening to artists. And um, uh, this the guy who was an intern at the time, Jack. He brought me Travis Scott's demo. This is probably like April, March, April, two thousand and twelve. So you call Travis to the office. Travis comes to the office. Same energy he had now, just no, no, no braids, just a fade, mm-hmm. bouncing <laughs> off the wall, playing this like, "Yo, Kanye, he loves this record. I'm about to go meet with T.I. He's like, boom, 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 you know." Right. And you know, he had he was just so much talent, so much energy. So I, you know, I was trying to sign him to Warner Brothers at the time, and he ended up doing a deal at Epic. But we stayed friends over the years. Yep. You know what I mean? So over the years, he would always tell me about projects. I would try to work with him, like. When he was doing Al Faro, he used to just like we used to talk about the project, you know what I mean? Then he's like, Yo, I'm gonna go with Kanye for like to Paris. He stayed there for like nine months. We used to house party, he used to come over. We just always kick it. So the the crazy thing about how the universe works and like if you just stay open and stay spiritual, like you gotta believe in it. When I got off that stage with LA, 
I'm walking back to my hotel. Guess who I see checking into the hotel? It's Travis. He's like, what are you doing here? He's like, I'm about to perform. He said, what are you doing here? I just came off a panel. So then we just all went. Uh, me and him went to the room. And then uh, that's the same time I met Yes Jules. Mm-hmm. And we all just sat there and started kicking it. Yeah. And me and Travis was just sitting there talking about how we make an album. He's like, yo, if I lived in the house like you live in, and just had all these producers in the house, I'd make the craziest album. Because Days Before Rodeo is out and it's fire. Like, it'll be dope. Like, let's just go do it. Let's record it in Miami. And he's just, he just so inspirational. Mm-hmm. So after like two, stri- two, three days of just talking about the album, I was like, this is cool. Like, you know what I mean? I, I want to, you know what I mean? I want to really explore this. He's like, you should just come work at Epic. And I was like, this feels good. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And then uh, um, my friend Courtney, who's a publicity over at, uh, at Epic, set up with me, with me in L.A., Mm-hmm. And I just talked to L.A. I had a meeting with him. And it was just like a continuation of being on the stage. It's yep. inspirational, talking about goals. And, 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 you know, usually when you deal with, with executives, they're talking about, like, numbers. And, right. oh, so tell me about your story. They're not talking about dreams. They're not talking about music. They're not talking about the stuff that you got in there for when you was a kid. And I'm like, I want to be here. I want to be epic, you know. And that's what made me here. So between him and Travis, they recruited me over to Epic. Yeah. So then, and, like, remember that plan I was telling you about? Right. Uh, it was the same kind of thing. It was like, yo, get, let's get a house and put all these producers in the same house. Mm-hmm. So the producers that came in the house was like Metro Boomin, Sunny Digital, first from FKI, Wonder Girl, Southside, TM88, Alan Ritter, mm-hmm. all living in the same house. Where was the house at? Bel Air. Okay. And that was like, so my first day on the job, December 1st, I, I walked right into the house. I didn't go to the office. I went to that house studio. <laughs> and then we recorded every day. You know, we did songs like 3500 in there and a few other records in there. Mm. And then from that house, we built the momentum. We went on tour of rodeo, started recording on the road. You know, yeah. the rodeo tour. Yeah, that tour was crazy. Yeah. That, that, was, that was the illest thing I've ever seen. Like, like the tour is dope. And watching Travis and, and Thug creatively like you're gonna go back and forth there ain't nobody no openness we're gonna go back and forth and we did the first show in Santa Ana and when they went out the crowd just had a reaction I, I never seen before in a hip hop show like these kids were like mosh pitting they were going crazy mm. the floor was shaking and after sh- and it was two shows that one night and after show one we all looked at each other like did that really happen right. yeah. and those shows were just crazy I remember because Metro Boomin would come out and play so it was never no lull the energy was like Metro oh, Boomin's playing Metro- everybody's rocking for like half hour 45 minutes and then they just start coming out so it never stopped the energy nah, the energy man. just kept building and right. building and building it was the youth like the yeah. Like, and I was telling this to somebody, everybody talks about it. Back in the day, like in the 90s, everything was better. <laughs> right. You know, it wasn't better, the shows. Yeah, <laughs> the shows, like I used to go to hip hop. A lot of guys rapping like this to the mic. Like, 100 <laughs> people on stage. Yeah, yeah. You scared somebody, you going to try to like rock, no, we had go to be fight. Like, which one is Nas? You couldn't tell who was Nas with <laughs> yeah. 25 Queensbridge niggas around him. And everybody's short. The shows in the 90s and 2000s sucked compared to these shows. <laughs> These kids come out now, they're raging, they're mosh pitting, they don't care about they might step, steps on their sneakers. They like have and, st- and they're still taking photos. They taking photos. <laughs> they have them they don't have to worry about nobody trying to like rob them or get a shootouts outside. These oh, shows yeah. are Tucky chain in. Nah, these kids right. they don't care like, about dude, chain. You dropped, Everyone's you, having you dropped fun. your chain, man. You dropped your chain. Yeah, right. it's, it's, everybody's having fun. So they will come out, Metro's turning up yeah. the crowd, and these kids are like, you would think the headline is on. But how do you will Travis in and then how does Mike Dean get involved? Because it seemed like the whole thing was then Mike Dean gets involved and then all of a sudden it's get serious business with these Travis. Well, well no, no, we're gonna get to Mike. So after the tour, we get in the second house right we now we're in like west hollywood 
and you know, like Metro comes to that house, Alan Loretta, we're finishing up the record. We like to call that the Antidote House because that's where like we recorded Antidote. Mm. Pretty, pretty big record there. Mm-hmm. Now, did you know that that was one of those ones? Because wasn't that first he put it on SoundCloud, right? It wasn't even like yeah, originally it, intended to even necessarily be on the album or no? I did not know. Yeah. I didn't. I mean, I, every other hit record I've been a part of, I knew. Yeah. Antidote, I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we thought 3500 was going to be the hit. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember the night before, we, we recorded like Nightcrawler, um, a few other records. And then like he woke up like late. And then like he recorded one record. And then I think he recorded a song called Impossible off of Rodeo. Mm-hmm. And then a beat play, he played a Wonder Girl beat, and he started beating on the table. And he's like, and it's like in the, in the it's like downstairs in the basement. And all you have to see is like a little window. So he's just beating on the table. He goes, don't you open up that window. Oh, don't you let out the antidote. Oh, and he just does that for like, and you know, it's like an open mic, there's no booth. Yeah. So he just does that for like four minutes. And then that kind of became antidote. So it was fun. We used to just play it in the studio. Then he went to like, um, he went to Texas and performed it. And the crowd went up. So he's like, just put it on SoundCloud. So if you look at antidote on SoundCloud, even up to this day, it says not on my album. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And we're like setting up 3,500. And then that shit just started growing every day, and it was just started getting bigger and bigger. So after like two weeks, we were like, you know what? Thomas pushed the single out. <laughs> That's an A and R. Swap you, out. Do you know when a song is a hit, and do hits matter to you, or just in, in general? Hits matter, you know, because it, it helps your career, helps you stay around. Mm-hmm. Um, me personally, different kind of A and Rs. You know, my style is more like I care about the body of work, and I believe if you stay true to the body of work, a hit will happen. If you go in the studio and try to make a hit, I don't think it's going to happen. But if you go in the studio and try to make an re- album, you'll probably catch a hit off that album quicker because you're more in a creative mind state versus just like sitting there and trying to make a hit. You can tell when somebody went into the studio and tried to make a hit record, mm. and you can tell when it just felt organic. Like, Antidote feels organic. It sounds like something. When I first heard YG's album, as soon as I put the CD in and I heard Bomb, I was like, B, P, T. It sounded special. You know what I mean? And almost, I would say half the album sounds like it could be radio ready yeah and it because because we didn't we didn't try to make it for radio mm-hmm. we just try to make it for to to complete that idea right you know and if you're trying to complete the idea that's a success i remember we were at, at south by southwest and when the album leaked with yg and when it leaked like and i saw the reaction of it i saw the meme started hitting yeah like i had like tears in my eyes i was so happy <laughs> because i didn't know people were going to get it like that yeah right. i just thought that i didn't know how people were gonna react to like oh people trying to do some storytelling shit mm. and when people, were re- <laughs> when people were going to seeing the lyrics and everything that was probably that was probably one of the best feelings of my whole life and just protesting watching. against the uh, no grammy nomination they protested against that too. that was i mean that's great because we i mean i remember the, the time that the we really that was one of our goals in the studio we like we know we're not gonna win best rap album mm. we just want to be nominated and we just talking about what outfit we want to wear and stuff like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> what was going to be your outfit, Sickable? I don't know. I know YG's going to be all red, though. You know what I mean? <laughs> and like, I, we were Mustard would have wore something too tight. Yeah, they would have <laughs> went crazy. That, and that, you know, me, me, me Mustard, um, YG, that was our, what I saw, that was like our biggest goal. That was going to be our validation. Mm. And then when Mustard called me one day screaming, he's like, and I was like, and I couldn't tell, so I asked, is this good screaming or bad screaming? <laughs> he said, bad, man, we didn't get nominated. And I was just like, man, I feel like somebody just like shot me in my mm. stomach. I was just I was just like hurt. And it felt like that for a little bit until I started seeing a reaction and then the memes. 
and then in trending and then the Grammy snub. Yeah. And I was like, oh, the streets gave us our nomination. So yeah. that made us feel a little better. You know what I mean? That yeah, made yeah. it that, that that watching those kids protest, like we didn't that's none of that stage. They did that on their own. Yeah. And that that was like a validation. That was like that, okay, we know that we we did something. Yeah. I still haven't seen that since people protest a Grammy snub like that. Yeah. But back to um, so Travis does the antidote, and then now you gotta finish the album because now you gotta hit. Right now you gotta finish the album. <laughs> right. You gotta so, hit record. You gotta get the album out. So like we have like you know having it, it's like having like all these records, and then you know Mike Dean's from Houston, and then so you go to Mike Dean like yo, can you finish this record? And he's like, you know what I mean, like can you executive produce our record? And he says yes, yes. And Mike Dean, I don't know how to describe him, man. Like. It, it it was just it's probably the illest experience I've ever seen watching him finish an album because you go watch him in the house and playing like the guitar the keys smoking a blunt on a computer all at the same time <laughs> <laughs> like taking, you know imagine I mean? just even taking calls from Kanye how, how right. stressful that is like he's doing all that too right <laughs> yeah but he's such a he's such a creative but he's also super organized you know and such a great music maker that. I, I just I just was in awe just being on that couch like you know what I mean just watching him work like not much you could do for Mike but just make sure he has the tools that he needs to do what he so has what to do so what does he do he just brings more life to the sounds that are already there no, or I mean, adds he, them he mixes the album he masters the album he co-produces certain records yeah. he goes in he's like a surgeon he makes it like a cohesive he makes it very cohesive and he expands the sound and he can really do anything you really want you yeah. know um, I always look at Travis and Mike as like two people in a spaceship driving a spaceship really fast and they're just like playing with sounds and they're playing with with albums. They're playing with where they could go. Yeah. You know what I mean? And he he I know I'm having a tough time describing it now, but it's like it's magical. Like you can't yeah. really describe what they're doing in there. They're 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 technicians and watching them work together is like the master and the sensei and they're pushing each other to make it. So it's a partnership in a sense. It isn't yeah. just like Travis views um Dean is the authority like finally like, can say no, this is better man, yeah. they, they're in there yeah. together you know they're, they're locked in like Rodeo they locked themselves in they locked themselves in um in Mike Dean's house in, in New York and you know we stayed in New York for a month while we finished the record you know came down L.A. Reed came down to the house and listened to the record in Mike Dean's <laughs> place in the big speakers which is like an awesome moment <laughs> and then the second record was uh, Birds was a little more um turbulent because it was like we were mixing the record and then like you know, Mike also had like Frank Ocean. He mastered Frank Ocean's album in the middle of Birds, right? Wow, blonde, he, hmm? the blonde album, blonde. Yeah. Yeah. And wow. I was like sitting on the couch while like the guy comes in with like a briefcase of like Frank Ocean like uh, album. <laughs> wow. And they mad. I'm hearing like a little bit of blonde in like the other room. I'm kind of like you know like poking my head out like oh this is crazy. Like you're hearing a Frank Top Ocean album. Shit. Right. Yeah. And I was like a Wednesday, and it came out Saturday. You know, and then Mike had to go do the music for the Pablo tour. But he has the illest tour bus of all time, like a tour bus where you could record and make music. Mm. So he's like, yo, if y'all want to finish the album, you got to go on tour. So Travis went on the Pablo tour. So I don't know if you all saw those clips of Travis, like, dancing on the floors. People thought he was right. on tour, but he was really just finishing his album. Yeah, so like, like, I got to wow. get with Mike and get my album done, right? Yeah. So Mike would be up there killing the Pablo tour, one of the illest tours you're ever going to see. And then when he goes back, he's helping finish Birds and him and Travis. And Travis didn't leave that tour bus for about two weeks and wherever the tour went he went finishing birds Yeah, and I was FaceTime him and he would just feel like he was in a bunker like no haircut no nothing just like thugging it you know what I'm saying yeah. it, it, it was magical well, what was important like to me he put so much energy into that first album like were you guys happy with the result of that and why was he so quick to go to try to make another album um, nah just the idea the idea kind of controls you you know what I mean Rodeo 
was something that he's been working on for years. That's why he has an album called Days Before Rodeo. Yeah. Rodeo was a big thing for him and his fans. It was a connection that they had. Mm. That was a story from him going from Houston to L.A. So Days Before Rodeo means I'm preparing for my main album, Rodeo. So he's been working his whole life to do Rodeo. So after Rodeo, it was kind of like, it was like a relief. Yeah. And then the next album, the next concept was Birds in the Trap, which gave us a lot more freedom. You yeah. know what I mean? Birds mm. in the Trap was more like, that was, you know, it's not as locked in as like a, a narrative story. We could be more cerebral with yeah. Birds mm. in the Trap. You know what I mean? And I think that we kind of like nailed it. That's more like abstract. That's more like a Kubrick, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Flick more than something literal. And I think that... um Because it I, seemed like that first album was more of like an exhausting process. It seems like this one didn't seem, besides the ending, which was a little tough because of logistics, it seemed like... This seemed like a, a smoother process, no? Yeah, because we learned too. You know, the first time, you know, the first time we did the album, it, we it was like a learning curve. You know, we had to learn a lot. Um, we learned a lot about putting together records, sample clearances, certain things you don't have to worry about when you do mixtapes. Mm-hmm. You know, the second album is just like a team coming back from a from a season that you just went to the playoffs. So you won a championship. You guys know each other. You guys know each other's roles. You know what everybody's strengths and weaknesses are. You know, some new additions to the cast, but for the most part, that core team is still there. So now it's going to be smoother. Like, you know what I mean? I can just throw a pass and I know you'll know where to be because we made all the mistakes in season one. So yeah. season two, now we get fancy with them. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Now we now we know where we're going. And then we're, we're still locked into the idea, but we're more comfortable as teammates. Yeah. You know, so it's a lot it's a lot smoother the second time if, and it's only smoother the second time if you stay with an idea. A lot of times so people have bad second albums because you get a lot more pressure. Like, you know, you're going to have a lot more money, a lot more mm-hmm. fame, a lot more access. When you when your first album is, you're working your whole life to make your first album. Yeah, you have a lot of ideas right. you've held on to for years. You have a lot of thoughts already, concepts. Second, second album is a lot more pressure. It's just sales pressures, families bothering you, mm. money, access. You don't have to go to the studio to really, you're not as hungry anymore. Right. So you need to really be focused on something else besides, like, getting paid because after mm-hmm. the first album you're going to be paid that's why the second sophomore slump happens when it's a lot of like imagine like a lot of time produ- artists go like I don't need my producer no more you know mm-hmm. what I mean a lot you did the first album I can do my own thing I can do my own thing I made this record you know what I mean <laughs> but you know we didn't do that we kept the same team intact kept the same deals intact we were like listen man we're going to bring it back bring the band back together we're going to do it the same exact way we're going to stick with it Mike's going to finish it and if you we stay with the process, and I think that, in my opinion, I think that birds beat rodeo. Even with oh the wait, time. you think bird? Wait, you think birds beat rodeo? Can you say why? I think it's a little more cohesive. I think I think I think is uh, some better stories on there. I think um, obviously, you know, I think that Goosebumps is going to be the biggest song in the world. I think that Beeves in the Trap is going to be a huge song. I, I just love I love like the range. You know what I mean? I, I love everything about Birds. I think Birds is just a more cohesive body of work. I think it's a stronger body of work. I think on the rodeo, there's a lot of records on there that I think we did we had to do because it's the first album. You know, we got to do a song with Kanye. We got to right. do a song with Pharrell. We didn't have those pressures on Birds. We just was the, 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 we just stuck with the concept. Speaking of the concept, the title, obviously Brian McKnight is involved. Was he open to that being like almost in, involved without his permission or... Yeah, it's like, you know, uh, Larry Jackson and Travis, they had this idea of, uh, like, you know, getting Brian McKnight to play that, that, that skit on top of the uh, the mountain. Right. 
And uh, the first thing Brian McKnight said to Travis when he saw him was, you guys, like, making a joke out of me? <laughs> 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 you know, and you have to explain to him that, like, you know, like, McKnight is dope. Like, you're dope. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, St. McKnight is not, we want to say somebody who's whack. Like, so how know? did that become the title? Quavo just said that line, and then you guys thought, did you guys have an idea of a title before? Like, how did it become that that would be really We, we had a title before, and we still, we had an idea before, which we stuck with. But when he said Birds in the Trap, St. McKnight, Travis just said, boom, that's the album now. Mm-hmm. He heard it. He just took out the Brian so we don't get sued. <laughs> yeah. And then that was the album. He just says, Birds in the Tribe, Sing Night. And it's just, that's when you have to have trust. You're like, okay, cool. Let's rock with it. Yeah. And it's more of an abstract title. It's not so literal. Yeah. But we just thought it was some dope as hell. Well, what was the idea and mission in terms of this record, you think, in terms of when you started creating it? Well, it was, uh, I just think it was a lot. Because we, we had some core records. Like, the first song that we had for this project was, like, Wonderful. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That was like the first record that we had. I remember he was, he was performing out on the tour with The Weeknd. And that's when The Weeknd heard it and why he jumped on it. So mm-hmm. that was like our our first record. And then like Pick Up The Phone was one of like the core records. Goosebumps came early. You know what mm-hmm, I mean? Mm-hmm. And we were just piecing together. It, was, it wasn't as literal as Rodeo. This is more like an abstract piece of work. Yeah. And then after a while, like first we were going to drop a like, kind of like a mixtape, like one of those quick drops. Right. Then we were like, oh, it's, it's just turning into something. Hold on. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we changed the focus and making a more cohesive album. It was just like an idea that just kept growing and growing yeah. and growing. It was fun because we... We weren't limited with the to, even the idea didn't limit us because it was such a like a vague idea. It was more like a feeling, right? Mm-hmm. And so we could kind of stay in it. So when you get into uh, when you get into birds, it, like you get transformed into an, another world, in my opinion, mm-hmm. from the moment. Like you know, like soon you put on the ends, it just sounds mm-hmm. like some other shit happening. Three a.m. I'll come outside. And Andre three thousand. Yeah, how you get three stacks? How did you get three stacks on Three stacks thing was amazing. You know, um, you got I got shot at Dominique and. Um, it was a and r consultant up there, and you know Travis had called me one day. It's like, yo, you know, I need to get Andre three thousand on this album. I'm like, cool, you know, <laughs> <And> <laughs> the unicorn. I'm like, all right, that's nice. Sycamore, Sycamore, we need to get Andre three thousand on this podcast. Can you mm-hmm. make, that? <laughs> make that happen? Hey, you know, you never know. So, so, so we go, we go, um, we go, and I'm like, I had sent Andre the last album before it came out just to get his opinion on it. Oh wow, you know what oh, I mean? Yeah. And I remember one of the things he commented on was like the narration so we were like let's see if we can get we had T.I. do the last narration let's get um, Andre to narrate this album which we thought was the dopest thing in the whole world mm-hmm. you know because he's such a great great with words you know so we had one meeting with him in the studio like conceptually like what the narration would be like you know what I mean and in the middle of the meeting like he stopped playing and he walked in the room and just started playing we are in uh, East West Studios in LA and it has Frank Sinatra's old uh, that's Frank Sinatra's old keyboard and he started playing on the keyboard for 15 minutes. I didn't even know he played keys. And he wow. just started playing keys. Like, we recorded it, but we gave it to him. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> and it was just magical. And he just came back and he's like, okay, I want to go live with this and I'll send you guys back the idea. So, you know, he sent us back like some conceptual stuff. We sent him back some feedback. So, like, um, maybe like the Sunday, he's like, okay, he's in the studio. He's ready to send it. And he had some music that he was going to do over. He said, I'm going to keep the music, but I'm just going to send you guys the acapellas. So we were like, cool. And then, um, he, so I, I get the email, I send him Travis' email, and uh, f- Travis called me like, yo, it says verse on here. Did he do a verse? And I was like, nah, he ain't do a verse. <laughs> he's, he's just narrating. I know he's like, I don't think, he's like, I don't think the engineer would mess up like that, right? He's like, nah, man. I was like, nah, I don't know. So then he calls me back, like, yo, he did a verse. <laughs> 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 and it was crazy. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we, that was, it was just like, we were shocked. 
Like we yeah. th- we thought he was gonna just do a narration, but it had an open instrumental there. And he just I talked to him about it later. He just said, "Hey man, the beat was just talking to me." Mm, and he said, "You know," and I was just like, "Thank you, <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you." And that's that's how that came about. Right. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play it. Hey, yes. hey, it's Ellie Wilson for Rap Radar. And me and my partner, B.Dot Miller, man. With the, with the only opinion that matters, man, here at Rap Radar. Has the roles changed as an A&R from yesterday to today? Well, tell me what yesterday was, and I'll tell you if you changed today. Well, a lot of times <laughs> people say that, you know, artist development is dead, and, you know, artists kind of do what they want. They have no, I guess, there's no parent in the room. And it's like everyone's going by the DIY model. And that's where the A&R of yesterday used to, you know, fill the void. Now, these days, people say A&R is a dead. I think it's more of a, of, a, of a generational thing. Like, back in the day, you know, 90s and early 2000s. In the 90s, it used to be like, you just do what I say and you record like I say it. Mm. Like, the A&R is going to, like, the label had the control for the most part, right? Yeah. So that was like the 90s A&R, you know? So you mm. got people who were just kind of doing what they curated for the label right the 2000s the relationship changed because that was like the time of like the independence that was the time of like the Rough Riders and the Rockefellers and the Grand Hustles and the DTPs so the, you needed A&R to have relationships with those CEOs and those and, the, and, and those presidents of those mm-hmm. companies and those entrepreneurs and they knew how to get the best records out of them now you have something new it's a new skill set because now you're dealing with millennials and, you know, if you have cousins and people that are, who are young, who are under the age of, like, 25 years old, you can't tell these people what to do. Mm. You have to explain everything. Like, you need to give them options. There's Make no, them understand. Mm. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're not going for the whole do this because I said so. It's, that, that, doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't work for these millennials. They don't work for the kids. You have to treat them like partners you gotta give them options you gotta give them like this is what we're doing like this is why we're doing it what do you think you have to make them partners so mm-hmm. I think the people who try to go with that old school approach like dude it's cause I said so that's over if mm-hmm. you don't treat these artists like as smart as they are and treat the millennials like partners and you give them options and, and you give it's a more of a dialogue you're gonna lose them cause you're not going to some kid who's 22 years old who's 19 years old 17 years old and just tell them this is how shit should be yeah, because that's when you start. When getting, the SoundCloud's already lit, no. <laughs> does that matter though? I feel like there still needs some sort of curation in the game, right? I think it needs some kind of listening. You know what I mean? Because I think that there's no rules in music. There's, you know, there's this hip hop. There's a culture of it. You mm-hmm. know, there's the five parts of hip hop, but there's still no rules. You don't have to do things a certain way. Like when Rick Rubin made the album structure, he made it off a of rock structure. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And then a lot of people started making records over the years off a certain kind of structure. Then Illmatic made it into like a super album. That's the first time an album, and like, correct me if I'm wrong, really mm-hmm. had a bunch of top producers from different places making kind of different records. And that's yeah, became yeah. a super album. Yeah. And that one became a new model in 1994. And then Life After Death takes it to Life a whole other level. Life After Death takes yeah. it to another mm-hmm. level. And yeah. that's a super album. So they, they're making, there's no, you don't have to do it that way. It's just people don't even know why they're making albums that day, if you don't, that way, because they didn't even do the research. So for the next 10 years, 15 years, people are making albums in that vein. But then like Kanye comes and he people start making albums in the 808 and Heartbreak vein. Yeah. You know, so like this is a new structure. And, and if you don't understand why, and like if you, you don't understand if you if you're seven if you have a seventeen year old rapper in the studio right now, mm-hmm. what year is that? He's born like nineteen ninety eight, Don't get beat out started. You know what I mean? Ninety nine or one of those years. All right, so you born in nineteen ninety nine, right? right? That means you probably started really listening to albums two thousand seven. Mm. Right? Yeah. You really registering. So if you're using references about Hard Knock Life Volume Two. 
right? <laughs> He's gonna look at you like I wasn't even born yet. But isn't music supposed to be timeless though? It can still be timeless. There's still timeless records that come out, but and there's still research that they have to do because mm-hmm. that's when you start getting. But you still have to respect and understand it from their point of view. At the same point, you yeah. have to use references from their point of view. Like when we grew up, we were like, "Was the music timeless?" Because Puffy was sampling. All, it's from the '80s. But, was that timeless? But those are records that we were kind of familiar with. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Like kind when of? Puff was doing it. Maybe if you had a household where people grew up listening to records, like, I give you an example. When he did, uh, "Can't Nobody Hold Me Down," I, I, I really didn't know that came from you know from where it came from. Like I, it was kind of new to me. And then eventually, someone told me, "Oh, that's you know that's Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. Like, but you know, at the time, you know, you re- you read you read, I think either Source or Double XL. They had Puffy as the number one producer of like the the millennium then the worst producer of the millennium at the same time because they, <laughs> they didn't know if what he did was super forward thinking mm. or he was destroying hip hop you know what I'm yeah, saying no, he was criticized for that right. for it, it wasn't it wasn't that was sacrilegious how do you take the message and take that beat and, and modernize it like that's a hip hop classic right. how dare you take that beat and, and do it that way but now it's accepted now it's, mm. it's there it's almost like that was almost Warholian of, 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 of Puff like you mm. know like this is art and what yeah. are you going to do about it? So you like you see it a lot now. With, um, the most fascinating thing to me in hip hop now is the uh, is the Ebro interviews. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that? Because you have a guy who's very rigid in the way things have to be and the way things should be, and you have these kids who come on his podcast like the Uzis and the Yachties. Yeah, kind of like why do I ra- have to rhyme over a primo beat to yeah, prove myself to you? You know what yeah. I mean? Like they this and, and it's always that that juxtaposition that old versus new. And if you and if you watch if you watch those interviews, you start seeing what the disconnects are with a lot of the 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 the, the, the taste not the tastemakers, but a lot of the the gatekeepers and the new generation. And I don't know if there's enough of a of a if enough is like a tutorial is not enough of a, like a of, of a culture like people not have enough dialogue with them and they not have enough of a history lesson this way and no one's trying to really bridge the gap so it's a, it's a bad it's a bad combination but isn't the foundation just about rap like can you rap lyrics like that's at the cornerstone like you said to YG you shouldn't say this so you have to give an explanation you know you have to it has to have a foundation about rap because I think like that's people what say, Ebro's people say mumble rap is this generation like you know your person obviously loves lyrics like how important is that like that's, how do you judge that's it that's important you know? well you gotta understand like these kids in like when we grew up we grew up as hip hop being our end all be all you know right. when you're from 11 to 21 you make your taste so just think about where you were from 11 to 21 which you were focused on these kids who are coming up this is a playlist generation you know what I mean they're growing up with rock music and pop music the same way to hip hop hip hop's almost another genre to them it's, it's just like it's not the only thing. Like when I was growing up, I'm listening to like Bobby Simmons when I'm going home. Rap <laughs> City, videos. flavor videos, <laughs> Rap City, The Source, Double XL, right. mixtapes. Can't I'm, get enough. You I'm consuming very, all that. Yeah. I'm hip hop centric, and I'm marketed that way. I'm I'm, I'm BET. I mm-hmm. grew up in the hood in Brooklyn, so all I knew is hip hop. Right. It wasn't until like I started moving out in the world and really exploring and going listening to Velvet Underground and Leah Rose put me on a Fiona Apple and really just trying to learn and I had to I had to increase my palate. Mm-hmm. These kids, their palate's there already. So when a little Yachty doesn't grow up only listening to hip hop and listening to a bunch of other things and having different inspiration because of the internet, because you have all kind of things, then you have to teach them what that why that's just important because that's not their only influence when they're growing up now. There's a lot of different influences growing up. It's not only hip hop. It's not only that. It's not. They have a bunch of things that they're pulling from as kids growing up in the 2000s. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a playlist generation. That's why festivals are so much more popping now because there's a wider range of people willing to see a wider range of, of acts. Yeah. 
you know what I'm saying? Hmm. How do you, how do you look towards like you now you you obviously you know now for YG Travis Scott like obviously you're looking for the next talent like who what are you looking for? Are you looking for those type of artists? Do you look for something that's different than what's going on in the, as the norm? Maybe not have that trappy sound. Like what's your approach now to look at what's going to be my next signing and who's the next person young artist I may work with? Um, I gotta go back to the directors, right? And like there are two type of directors. They said Steven Soderbergh says it's people who make the material adapt to their style like a Woody Allen. Like, you know a Woody Allen flick when you see it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's kind of like the jokes, the neurotic Jew humor. You know what I mean? It's like basic <laughs> stuff. And then there's people who adapt their style to the material, mm-hmm. right? And I feel like that's my style. So I'm never going to try to force somebody to do a certain kind of music. I'm never going to be in there and be like, you have to make this. I'm going to just listen to what you're telling me, and then I'm going to try to make the best version of that for you. Hmm. You see what I'm saying? I'm trying to make the best version. So if somebody wants to come in to make the ultimate mumble album, and I think they're dope, I'm gonna help them. I like a lot of mumble rap. But when? <laughs> so when is discretion used? Like everything can't come out the pipeline, be good. Some shit is whack. Like who says, yo, this is garbage? You know, well, get a I, job I, at I, UPS. I don't think genres are whack. I think that music. I think that. I think that genres. Just because somebody makes mumble rap, don't make them whack. Like I like Lil Uzi a lot. You know what I'm saying? Mm. I think he's dope as hell. You know, not necessarily that John. I'm just talking about an artist. Like, well, artists could be whack. Right. Artists could be whack if they're not original, if they're biters, if they're not trying to do something, not trying to move the culture forward. But if 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 they just make a certain style, you can't be whack because certain you make a certain style. Suck. Like like Crunk was whack. That was a whack era. I don't know. When you hear Young Blood, I think they you were play dope. you play some cr- <laughs> you play Crunk music now. It sounds so dated and whack. Like what? Nuck if you buck sounds whack. All right. Uh, like if you, you know, I have. When was the last time I, someone even played that? I don't even know what that sounds like right now. All the time. You don't travel. Yeah, of course I travel. <laughs> Ducky, that was playing Ducky <laughs> your buck. You used to spend some time in Atlanta, Louisiana, <laughs> Florida, Texas. At it's not time, just New York. It's I know, a big but world at the time, there. at the time, it sounded good. I, I mean, I haven't heard that record in a long time. Still sounds it. good. I, I, I'll take your word for Nucky it. Damn, still buck. sounds good. Like Young Blood. Damn, it's hard. Nah, nah. A lot of these records still sound. Never scared. Still sounds good. A lot of these records. A lot of records was trash. If you play a lot of records from the mid two thousand. A lot today? of hip hop records from That's New York true. don't sound good no more. That's true. I was going to say, what do you think of New York now? Because obviously you was at the forefront with the Saigons and the True Lifes, and you was building this narrative in New New York. And it seems like now with like you know Young M A and A Boogie, there's like some new energy and some excitement in the city. I, I, Not I, a shit of Cali dude. <laughs> 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 I, I, I'm, so, my yeah. 2017. If I had to pick, mm-hmm. like you know what I mean. If I had to pick what I wanted to do. I'd love to work with a New York artist, but I I would like to just be like in New York. Period. Like I'm moving back to New York. Like New York got the best energy. Like just being here for Fashion Week in these last couple half couple months. Yeah, beat us. Like why take them out here in New York? Yeah, I think it's LA guy. No, I've been I've been back out here because now that the albums are done, you know YG and Travis they're both like onto their. So we need to talk about YG second album. We got to get to that. Yeah, they're both gone. They're both already. They're out there. You had two two kids with these artists. The two albums are out from each of them. Yeah, they're touring. You know YG's on the fuck Donald Trump. Travis is in Australia going crazy so like my thing is I'm out here just trying to be inspired I'm a New York kid all the way right. but I don't just limit myself like I don't I, I've been working on breaking my identifications right mm. just because I grew up in Brooklyn don't mean I have to wear Tim's and do that every single day mm. like that's just something like just because I grew up Caribbean don't mean I have to eat certain kind of food that's just the way people program yourselves so I, it's almost like I've been trying to do like almost like a deprogram and mm. I challenge all my all the reasons I do certain things why I walk a certain way I don't take anything for granted because you only live one life you know what I mean mm. I, but if I love New York like I would tell people if I had like a choice of places to live and work money and family wasn't a factor 
I live in New York or Miami. I love I love it. Mm. You know what I mean? But I also go where it's, where it takes me. I still yeah. have a certain sense of spirituality with it. I'm never just going to be like, because then you kind of block off your blessings when you do it that way. When you're just like, I have to do this. I have to do that. I have to do this. I change the word have to or must or should to could. I could do this. I could do that. Mm. But I don't have to do that. You know what mm. I'm saying? So, like, I'm out here. Just, I love, I love, uh, does Don Q, that's his name? Oh, Don, Don Q. Q. Yeah, oh, yeah. he's nasty. Don yeah. Q, A Boogie. I met with Young and May Man in the office. She's one of the smartest, sharpest, dopest new artists that New York has ever had. You know, Dave East. Yeah. Like, yeah. this. Just signed to Def Jam. Yeah. Just signed to Def Jam um, today. I think that. I you think still do the big board. I heard you create a board and you just write all the artists' names and you rank them and you like you get real nerdy it's like with a it. stock. Yeah, like a <laughs> okay, so let me break it down, right? I, I call it I my draft. Like everything I do is really compared to sports. I, saw, I thought it was in right. your bag here. I was getting excited. I thought you was gonna pull it out. No, nah, like it's, like, like, it's like it's like a uh, <laughs> pause. <laughs> I got I, I got something called a draft board, right? right? So what I do is like. Anything that pops up on the radar, I would just put the artist there. If you like on pigeons and planes, somebody tells me about them in a car, different cities, grime artists. Just hear a name. Hear a name. Yeah, it's like that. You just throw the spaghetti on the wall, and then I do what like Mel Kiper Jr. does. You start ranking them based on like buzz. I try to do as many objective things as possible, Mm -hmm. right? Like not just numbers, but just things like talent, who manages them. They might go higher up the ranks because Mm -hmm. they have a better team, they have a better thing. What city they're from, you probably have a better chance of getting on if you're from a place that nobody came from before versus Mm -hmm. some places oversaturated. What, What genre they're in, you know what I mean? How long they've been on the scene. How long, how fresh their names are. So I rank them at a certain things, and I just kind of keep it on a board. Mm. You know what I mean? And from there, that kind of my thing is always to stay like young and fresh. You know what I mean? Mm. So I always just try to stay in that board, and that board is like my favorite thing to do because like I like seeing people come off the board. I'll I'll send you guys some. Uh, I'll text you guys some uh, old boards I have from like 2009, 2010. <laughs> how do you get off the board? You have a hit record. You're off the board once you make it, your first hit, or when you put out a when you about to put out a major album, you're going. Mm. So it's like the old freshman rules. That was the kind freshman right, requirement. Right, right, right. But not when you're signed because a lot of big artists happen when they get dropped from another label. So just because you get signed, I don't take you off the board. Mm. So a lot of people on my board are still on record labels, yeah. but they're like underappreciated. Like Travis and YG were underappreciated on it. Not not Travis. Travis People always knew Travis's talent, right? Yeah. right. I feel like YG was uh, a little underappreciated yeah, in Def Jam. Yeah, they gave you right. Dirk Reese, him. They gave you the ones they didn't know what to do with. Who are all, all incredible, yeah. in my opinion. So you were happy. How did you feel when, you know, Birds went number one? I mean, I was one of the happiest moments of my life. Mm. You know, because, you know, I've been doing this straight since my first mixtape came out September, October 2001. So, like, you know, I've been putting on mixtapes and working with artists. And, like, you know, while we're talking about Travis and YG, you know, I've had a, I worked with a lot of artists that weren't that successful. Lots mm-hmm. and lots of artists. Yeah, and Tommy Hilfiger's son, right? Rich no, and the Rich, and the Rich, the Rich, I think, Ricky Hill, I think, he gave it a lot. Because I worked with Rich for seven years. Yeah. And one thing that I think that we accomplished was this project, SYLDD. That was the first project that I put out that was, like, a real album. That I just thought was incredible. We had features there. We had Terrence Martin on there. It was mixed by mixed by Ali. Had the weekend, an early weekend feature, mm-hmm. and I still think he was just ahead of his time. Yeah, it wasn't like you know, right time, yeah. like when right. weekend was being quoted, when it was being like quoted, and Joey asked him like, "Who's some of your favorite artists?" One of the artists he said was Rich Hill. Mm. So this, and I think that he was really original, and I think he just got a bad shot because people like, "Oh, he's Tommy Hilfiger's son," but I thought he was super original. I still think he's super original, mm-hmm. and it's, it's different between me like. You could be an icon and not be original, right? And you could be an original and not be an icon, like Little B, right? Do okay. you like Do you like Little B? 
No. But Little B created most of that style. That, that whole swag true. rap, like that a lot of these guys come from. True. Like so did you like Soldier Boy? I like a couple records. These guys are still originals because when they came out nobody sounded like them. And to be an original, to be an absolute original is a hard thing to be. You know what I mean? And Rich was in a. A lot of them don't succeed. They yeah, set and, a blueprint. And, and that's not. And that, the one that comes after that refines that blows up. Yeah, mm-hmm. like who were they saying the other day that that Steph game is like uh, the Muslim guy? Uh, you guys oh, are, Chris Jackson. Yeah, like Chris, Chris Jackson. Jackson. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like his games, like Chris Jackson. Everybody's going crazy on um, Phil Jackson. Oh, Steph Curry. He was saying he's like he's a version of Chris Jackson. Mm. Yeah, yeah, because like it's just because you're an original don't mean it's gonna go all the way. Sometimes you don't get appreciated till later. A lot mm-hmm. of uh, artists, like art artists. You know they blow up after they die, right? Because people don't understand the influence till later, and they'll take somebody come out and saying like, "I was really inspired by that." You know what I mean? Yeah. Like when Young Thug goes, "I feel like Fable," I feel like Fable. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He was growing up listening to Fable. Like Fable is dope as fuck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's the, and I know people are like looking at Fable like he was weird at the time, or like, "Oh, Laffy Taffy's gonna kill a hip hop," but it's original. And then you never know when somebody gets inspiration from. You never know where a photographer gets inspiration from. You never know who really inspires you. Like, when I was a kid, my favorite rapper was Cannabis. <laughs> you and J. Cole? <laughs> <laughs> like, I loved Cannabis. I used to listen to Cannabis versus Jay-Z versus Noriega. No, Cannabis versus DMX versus Nori Tapes. I used to love Cannabis, man. I used to listen to anything <laughs> dealing with Cannabis. I still think Cannabis is dope. You know, Eminem ended up becoming, like, way bigger than Cannabis. Right. But I think in his prime, Cannabis would have took out. If they went, like, prime, I think Cannabis would have took Eminem out. Did you answer your question that you posed on Twitter? You said, who's the top five in the new millennium since 2000? I really thought about that, too. <laughs> Who's the top five in the millennium since 2000? Hmm. When you say top five, you're talking about lyricists? No, that was on your Twitter handle. Or just top five, period? I would just say who top five. Like, I was thinking I would go 50 Cent. Like, the, the, the definitive top five of since 2000 up till now. So when, so how do we start 2000? I want to be very clear on this because this is going to be a big <laughs> one. Like, do we, do, did they, put, they had to put out their first record past 2000? Just, I mean... Because 50 Cent came out damn near in the 90s. Right. I, I'd say 2003 is 50 Cent's starting point. See, I, I was listening to um, Problem Child and 50 Bars this morning. Course, wow. and that came I mean, out. That's my favorite 50 Cent record, too. Which one? 50 Bars, a pleasure. Yeah, I was, I was listening at this morning, so I wouldn't put 50 in the 2000s. You want to put 2003? I think for the general majority of people, they say 2003. Okay. So your top five. I would say 50 Cent, Kanye West... Uh, who else is there? Shit, that was about two. I had another one. I would say maybe Nikki. Uh, damn, he, he managed Nikki. You know that he, he I dumped remember, her. He dumped remember her too. that you, you did have Nikki Minaj. <laughs> yeah, man. I, I mean, I, I, I you broke I, up with Nikki. Talk about how you broke up with Nikki. That's right. You know, Nick, <laughs> Nikki, Nikki's, Nikki's one of the smartest, smartest uh, business people I ever met. And I wasn't ready to work with Nikki. Like I thought I was talent wise, but she was very demanding. And 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 Nikki knows where she wanted to go. Like yeah. where she is now, she always knew where she wanted to go. Crazy. She always knew that she was going to be that big. Like I, when I was working with Nikki, I thought she was going to be like the next Foxy Brown or the next Little Kim. She's like, I'm the new Jay Z. Like yeah, yeah, like, <laughs> like Nikki. Nikki broke all kind of boxes that you know that no one's ever really seen in hip hop. She never took limitations of being a, a the artist. And so I, I mean, I take. Work with Nikki, like I learned a lot from being with her. So like, she was kind of more far along in some sense than you were at that time. She was. She, yeah. she 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 had a vision. She we used to wake up like early in the morning, seven o'clock in the morning. Didn't smoke, didn't drink. Was on her business, man. Like wow. learn her rap. She 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 knew. This is like beam me up, Scotty era, or like before then. Before beam me up, Scotty, wow. when she was rapping in the tub on the Fendi mixtapes. Right? <laughs> wow. When she was on the come up DVDs. Nikki, Nikki always had a vision when she was first doing the mixtapes. Like, Nikki always had a vision. That's why you don't get that big by accident. You don't yeah. be the only woman on the Forbes list by accident. 
she she but knew. you bonded being Trinidadian right and then you was bonded, managing officially we, we bonded being Trinidadian we bonded just like being young and she gave me a shot you know because I was like 23 years old I had like a company and she really believed in me so I, I always I always like when it didn't work out with me and her I always looked at that like I always looked at it like a real like low point for me because when she was blown up I felt like a real failure I felt mm. like I gave up on her and I'm really happy where she is but I felt like I can't give up on anything that I believe in again just because it got hard. And that was the last time I gave up on anything that I believed in. Because back then, I was too cool for school. I was just like, I know this. Like, every time <laughs> I know this, like, I don't, I don't care about it anymore. You guys are on it now. I was a real hipster about it. Like, oh, you guys are on it? I was <laughs> I on that last year. <laughs> I've been on this. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't treat like that no more. Yeah. Now, if I believe in something, I believe in it. I believe in it forever. Wow. Yeah, because even that it was, a, she was doing a vibe shoot or something, right? And she was on a vibe yeah. shoot, and like, you know, she was right. Like, she was on a vibe shoot. She showed up. It was like a big time thing for her, and like, there was, she had no place to change. There was no trailer, and I was like in D.C. like with another client. And she's like, where are you? Where's my trailer? What's going on? What kind of manager are you? Da 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 da. Mm. And I was like, nah, this is, I'm fuck this. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm, you know, I, you gotta find somebody else. But she was right. She should have had a trailer. She should have a place to go. I should have been arranging these things. I should have been yeah. there. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And and I learned a lot from that experience with Nikki. But I also learned never to like just quit and give up because things get hard. Yeah. Things get hard now all the time. I argue with my artists all the time about numerous amounts mm. of things. But yep. guess what? I'm still here. We can fight, but guess what? I'm showing up. I'm showing up to that show. I'm showing up yeah. to the next session. I'm showing up to whatever. We're still here. We're going to rock out. Do so y'all yeah. have a relationship I was going to say, you reached yeah. out to her, right? We, the uh. best, One of the best moments of my life happened when I reached out to her for the for the My Nigga remix. And I didn't know how that was going to go. That was like a Hail Mary shot in the dark. Oh, why? Right. He was That's like, yo, right. get Nikki on that shit. You, that's nah, your girl, nah, right? <laughs> nah. Nah, it was, it was kind of like, that was kind of like just me kind of like going on my own. Let me see what happens. Wow. I reached out. And you know, and, and I reached out to G. And I'm like, "Hey, you really want Nikki on this?" And he was like, "You know, I'm a she charge, right?" <laughs> <You know? laughs> I was like, "Yeah, just reach out, see what she say." And then he called me back, like, "Yo, you know, Nikki said she gonna do it, and she not gonna charge, and she wanna talk to you." Wow. You know what I mean? And that was kind of like that was like five years after that, so that was like full circle. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That, that was like a great feeling of like, cause for the, all that time from like the point where like. Like that that was a real low point when after like I left Nikki because then I was like I didn't have Nikki, I had to look at artist development company that was going under the famous firm. Things were just like felt like I was just in a real dark spot in my life around that time. Yeah. And I really had to like make some adjustments. And I remember I was just I reached a real low point. I remember I was like in a bookstore with my ex girlfriend. And I didn't really have much money. I still love books, but I didn't have much money. I was like, you didn't give me these books, baby. She was like, nah, man, you got a lot of books at home. Why you need more books? And I'm like, man, I'm a fucking loser. <laughs> 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 and I just I just went home and I woke up in the morning and I was in um I was in Jersey and you know, you know, pray for everybody in New Jersey Transit, because that could have yeah, been me. Right. Yeah, you know, yeah. like I took the New Jersey Transit to the city and I had like I don't know how much I had like eighty dollars. So I took like twenty dollars and bought a notebook and I wrote out my life and I was just like, you know what? This is how my life's gonna go. I'm like, this is what I'm just focus on artist development. I'm focused on being an A and da, 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 da. I wrote out a page, a huge page, right? A whole page. And I folded up the page and I kept it in my pocket for like five years. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And I, I used to just look at that every day and I just said, I'm not gonna give up. I'm yeah. not gonna just settle. I'm not gonna be a victim. I'm not gonna blame it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I would just wake up every day. They said Winston Churchill has a quote like, you know, uh, success is going from failure to failure with the same enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. And then what happened was the first the first 
break I got was doing the famous factory shows with Double XL. Mm. And, you know, I used to get talked to all the new artists. So we had people like Big Crit, Nipsey Hussle, Dom Kennedy, uh, Joel Ortiz, mm. all these guys. And that got me in the new generation of hip hop. Because that was yeah. like the beginning of the blog rap. And what started <laughs> to really turn to some money. Yeah. When they first started really getting booking agents and things like that. That's when things started to change. Because because of the blog rap, they started getting on the radar of booking agents. The booking agents started treating them differently. Right. And, that, and, you know, I was before the booking agents went over, went over crazily. Yeah. So I would do these curated shows in Brooklyn with Double XL and XXL gave me the platform and it created like a new customer and from that point on I reinvented myself yeah. into like you know a promoter and I had these new things I'm like okay cool I'm not gonna mess this shot up and from there I went and like got Richard deal with Warner Brothers yeah. and from the Warner Brothers deal I got the opportunity to be on Def Jam and with the Def Jam deal I ended up meeting with Dirk and YG and working with Jeremiah you know, yeah. yeah, you did a lot with Jeremiah. People don't really li- realize a lot. Mm-hmm. We what didn't. Get was, what was the issue? Why was Why was it always seem like he's always in this tumultuous thing with Def Jam? Like, what's your opinion of that? Like, why Why didn't the music come out on time? Like, why do you think a lot it, of that was? It was a stifling? lot of drama before I got there. You know what I mean? Because you got to think about it, he's with Def Jam early, like birthday sex and down on me, right, right. and like I was just hear the music and like I remember his manager Dilla like had reached out to me via um, Dirk's own manager SB and. He, they liked the way Dirk was moving around in Chicago, so Jeremiah was willing to give me a shot. Like, once you give him a, sh- you know, a shot, yeah. and I started hearing the music, and he had all these amazing records, right? And I just don't think he was getting the attention for some political shit, but he always had the talent, and he had he was sending him bodies of bodies of work. And I was like, yo, man, let's put some of this stuff out. And the first record that we really worked on that was together was uh, Don't Tell Him, mm-hmm. yeah. because that was originally a Mick Schultz beat. Um, which is his court producer who did mm. birthday sex down on me. Do 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 do. So I, it was my idea to go get Mustard and YG. So Mustard co-produced it, mm, yep. and then YG jumped on it, and then boom, that was kind of like okay, cool, we coming back. But at the time, on his own, he had um the fuck you all the time song. I can fuck yeah, you all the time. Yeah. I thought that was the best song in the world at the time. It's <laughs> a good record. <laughs> no, and they were taking them off records too, right? He was mad, right? Like yeah, the and they, they, were taking, they took them off um, a couple of Kid Ink records. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then he, when he recorded down, when he recorded Don't Tell Him, he recorded that like, like, look, I can make one of these kind of mustard records and I can make it go crazy. And you know that record ended up charting bigger than the other two Kid Ink records. Mm. You know mm. what I'm saying? <laughs> Jeremiah's Revenge. <laughs> <laughs> that was, that's still that's still the biggest record I've been a part of chart wise in my career. Really? Don't yeah, tell I think him. that was like number six on the Billboard Hot 100. Yeah. So that's like the next goal. I want to get like a number one. But that last album, you ended up working on most of it though, even though you wasn't there when it came out. Well, you know, I think a lot of when you finish the album, a lot of part of being a great A&R is finishing. Like anybody could be a part of like certain records. I was there for a lot of those records. But I left before it was over. So I always feel like, I always feel a little bit like I let, like, Jeremiah and Dirk down a little bit when I switched labels because I didn't see their projects all the way through. Mm-hmm. So I, I got, you know, some regrets with that. Because the close is the most, the closing of it is the most important it's part. It's the hardest part. You know, you yeah. can do all the records in the world, you can get everything going, but when it's time to close, like, putting, in the music business, putting a, a, a album to market is the absolutely hardest thing to do because mm. that's when things get really tough. That's when 
the money's on the line. That's when the millions of dollars of promotion. That's when you better be right. That's yeah. when there's no more creatives. Like it's still creative, but it's still like you have to understand the market. You have to understand the competitive release schedule. Mm, yeah. You have to understand what else is coming out at that time. You have to understand why you're gonna drop it. What's a good time in the dropping? Everybody's nervous, and you gotta be cool under pressure. And you gotta be yeah. able to deliver. And you gotta deliver creatively for your artists. And you gotta make sure it don't flop. And you gotta make right. sure a lot of things happen. What yeah. mistakes do you think new artists make? coming into the game I think a lot of them don't do research hmm. a lot of them just kind of like have bad teams I think I, I would I would do more research of like who I'm going to be a partner of who I'm hmm. going to work with hmm. or why I'm going to do things I don't think a lot of them don't have any strategy I think if you come in with a, with a I know a few artists that come in with a bunch of hits so hmm. like we don't need anybody yeah. but the, the hard are here. <laughs> <laughs> but you know the hard part about being in this game or any game and any as a business person or just incorporate or wherever you are in life is not to do when you're hot is when you're cold mm. what's your relationships like when you're not hot yeah, who's like, picking up that phone who's returning your text yeah so a lot of these new artists they get hot they start curving people <laughs> they don't want to do things you know what I'm saying right, oh you right. know you also speak about the, one of the favorite things you talk about uh, what you call the sign fatigue like sometimes artists sign and that's the big victory and then they don't want to work you yeah know they, I mean? they sign to retire you, do, you go fight and you give these artists a 1.3 1.5 million dollar deal they have a $500,000 advance they move mm. the house they're chilling smoking weed they, that was the goal. They didn't know there was something. <laughs> oh, I got to work now? <laughs> yeah, they didn't know there was something else besides us. So you see, anytime you see those big deals where people are like, I signed for multi-million dollars, nine, 19 times out of 20, they're gonna, that's going to fail. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you think of artists though, like a Jay Electronica that won't put his music out? Do you also say there's also, to me, a courage in creation? Like, some artists never really feel to me comfortable to really finally let that go to the world. Like... How it's, do you get artists to feel that way? Like, no, this is ready. It's time to share this with the world. Like, we that, have to get this that's out. That's what I think. That's what I think. A big job is for the A and R. You have to. You got to think about what making a song is like, mm. right? Imagine just going in a in a dark room, and just like coming up with something in your head and mumbling, right? Like, mm-hmm, and then doing it. Like, how does that sound, right? Mm. And then the whole world judging it. It's like that's good or that's bad. Instantly now, instantly in this mm. world. It's the scariest thing in the world. So imagine now you're working on that for a year or two years and you're working on this album and the whole world hasn't heard it. They have to trust you because you're like the first fan. Mm. You're in there telling them, yeah, this is dope or this is whack. And they have to really, you have to really make them comfortable to hand over that master like, yo, bring this home. Because they put their whole life in this, and they don't want to be embarrassed. You don't mm. want to be in there and make something coin. But can you imagine dropping a, what a dropping a whack album must feel like? <laughs> Think about it. Imagine, imagine working on something for like a year, six months, two years, <laughs> and people just online roasting you, like throwing your garbage. shit in the trash. Right. Right. Put, like this is how I'm putting garbage. the Michael Jordan face on your album. <laughs> 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 that must suck though That has to be The absolute worst feeling In the whole world Nightmares This is This is your This is your artistic expression And people are just Shitting on you Left and right No one wants to feel like that So you have to make The people feel comfortable That I'm not gonna Embarrass myself This is gonna go great And people are gonna love it But that moment before That that album's about to hit it's the scariest time in the whole world. It's exciting, mm. but it's scary because you yeah. don't know what people are going to say. Are you just even by standards? I think when even though you love the, we'll get to YG's second album, when YG's first album, the fact that it came in like number two, you was upset about that, right? Yeah, because you still have the, the creative goals. Like we didn't remember when I said the the, the, the market. You know, I understand the market. I didn't. I was not experienced as an executive. It was my first album, so we fought for a certain release date. 
not knowing that the Frozen soundtrack was going to come out that <laughs> Oh, that damn Frozen soundtrack. <laughs> so when they were like, yeah, y- y- you guys are probably going to come in number two because of the Frozen soundtrack, I'm like, what's Frozen? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that. You know every other right. artist probably in the yeah, planet. Yeah, I'm like, we're being the country artist, yeah. being everybody. And the Frozen soundtrack came out of nowhere. And that was like depressing because being number one, including with the Grammys and creative goals, mm-hmm. that was another yeah. goal. So we came in number two, and I was really, I was really depressed for a little bit. I was like in the house, just like, just I ain't really gonna go nowhere. People would call me like, "What are you talking about? People love the album. It's still number one hip hop R and B. It's still right." I was like, "Nah, <laughs> <Does it count? laughs> nah, it doesn't count. Yeah. It's number two. So being, but after a while, you know, you still being the number one in the world with a rap album, still a huge accomplishment. Yeah. Hip hop yeah. R and B, being number two, losing to the Frozen soundtrack. Like I watched the movie and I felt better. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, this movie's dope. <laughs> Could you work with an artist that you don't like? As a musically or as a person? Like, no, uh, musically. Nah. Mm. And that's the tough part. Like, you know what I'm saying? That's why when you ask me, like, who I'm working with next, it's like, you got to go to, like, the artists work with the dope as fuck. So, like... You're I setting c- a standard now, right? And yeah, you're like, I can't And you're friends with... You would consider yourself real friends I'm with these guys. great friends but with But even if the record would sell and you just don't like it, you just wouldn't... Nah, because that goes against what I was talking about earlier for us, like, going in the store, like, you know, you know the, the type of girls that I like, the, like, the places I like to go. I like I like the cool shit. I like, mm-hmm. I like <laughs> shit that being dope. I like people going out to be like, I really liked your album. If I, 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 I can't make, like, a, um, an album that sold a bunch of records and nobody really liked it. It's kind of like, I would, if, mm-hmm. I, if I made, like, Chingy back in the day. <laughs> How did you, I was dead-ass <laughs> thinking about Chingy. <laughs> sold three million copies, right? Right, right there. And I'm like, yo, baby, you want to go to the Chingy show tonight? <laughs> She's like, get out of here, man. <laughs> <laughs> fuck out my face man I would hate myself you know what I'm saying I, it's still to, cause it's still that's not dope like I still wanna be dope I never right. want like the sales is never it's not my the being dope and being ill is still yeah. number one to mm-hmm. me out of everything I do like I, I even like I don't even like go crazy on social media or nothing because it's tough for me to do stuff it's tough for me to do stuff like this because I'd be like man doing interviews is whack like you know what I mean right. like, yeah, yeah. But so I have to like, like I really work you it you only did like the Rosenthal's and Mary Choi and these kind yeah. of things <laughs> but like I like I, I think you guys are dope thank you bro like you know what I mean I, li- I listen to the podcast I think it's dope I think you guys do your research I think it's ill like being yeah. a rap radar is ill <laughs> you know what I mean what else is ill that no matter what like you said you felt kind of uh, funny leaving um, Jeremiah and leaving Dirk but you stayed with YG like it was adamant that you were still gonna be involved with his second album even though you went off to you know so, what? Like, how did you make that happen? Well, it's like me and YG. That was like our first time. That was his so- debut album, and that was my debut album. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? So after you have a connection like that with somebody, like you're not gonna get that up. Like you know what I'm saying? Like you got to see that all the way through. And you know, I hope to work with YG my whole life. I don't know if we do hmm. 50 albums together. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like because that that feeling that you guys did together like when we were just looking at each other like okay we gotta make this work you know mm-hmm. what I mean like that we experienced that together mm-hmm. we're almost like war buddies you know what yeah. I'm saying so like we're not that, that was just incredible so I can't I can't do that so now like that's the type of connection I'm used to with my artists like with yeah, Travis mm-hmm. I've known artist Travis for since 2012 I've known him for a long time since before he had his record deal you know so to see him get the number one album is one of the most uh, gratifying things I could right. ever see in my whole life yeah. You know what I mean? Seeing the YG have platinum records, it's gratifying. Mm, like yeah. you know what I mean? It's like your brothers getting something. Like when they when they, when they, when they do good, I do good. Right. So you you never you can't go work with like somebody whack over there and be like, yo, we're just doing it for the money because that's not what I'm selling in the studio. Mm. I'm I'm like we gotta be the dopest. We gotta be the illest. Like we gotta be number right. one. We gotta tap, take out who's number one. I can't start now being like, nah, this this play gonna work. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Like, get the fuck out of here. But what was the approach with Still Brazy? And also, he had to go through things like he got shot. Like, how are you dealing with all that stuff? 
Still Brazy was just dope because the album was called Still Crazy for a little bit because we wanted to have like a continuation of a because yeah. uh, we have we had to have a continuation of a My Crazy Life. That was the idea, and that's why the, the intro is the same. It had the father instead of mm-hmm. the mother. It was a continuation of a My Crazy Life. The whole, that was always the whole time. And then um, you know we had like that's funny. The last song that album was also the first song that we recorded, Police Get Away with Murder, mm-hmm. and we wanted to put that out right away. We recorded it like last um, December two thousand fourteen. Mm-hmm. January 2015 but we're like nah black people still gonna be getting shot <laughs> and unfortunately Terribly, it was right. right it's even more relevant now yeah and we like and it, and it was crazy because at that time it was like a bunch of other people getting murdered so that was the first thing and then uh, we was going through it you know trying to figure out the records and records were coming slow and then life happened life became arbitrary you know that that, that was one of the worst nights ever mm-hmm. when you know um, we were all in the studio it was Taco Tuesday mm-hmm. um, everybody was chilling and I went out with, with a girl, just go to get something to eat down the block, we're all in Studio City. And like, I'm down the block, I'm every like five minutes away. And they're like, yo man, YG just got shot. Mm. And you know, like, he just, it was just dark. It was just like, man, like, it was just like, like you know, somebody like, yo, remember that everything I just described? Like, mm. imagine that person, like, you could lose them. You know what I mean? And that night at the hospital and being there, that was just like a horrible place, but you know, one thing about YG, he's resilient. He popped up, crutches, moving around, right. came in, recorded, um, recorded, uh, who shot me the next day. Right. And crutches in the studio is one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. Crazy. Wow. Yeah. I feel like that album isn't as appreciated as My Crazy Life. Do you feel that way or? Um, creatively it is. I, I don't think it has the hit records on it, like mm. My Crazy Life had. And like, that's like the other intangibles. Like maybe like the rollout could have been a little bit better. Mm. But as far as like sonically, I feel like oh. I, I feel like you know. Cause remember, that's that's why the idea has to be. That's why your goals can't be a hundred percent into the uh, the other stuff. That's why completing the idea, we completed that idea like we wanted to do, and I think we nailed it. Mm. You know, we didn't have the hit on it. It happens. We're gonna right. have more shots, but one thing that people are gonna be able to do is go back and say the album is dope. Nah, like I, agree. I, I look at that album like his American Gangster. Mm-hmm. Like it'll be appreciated more later. You know, later, later. like American Gangster. Didn't have any hits, but and know. now people say it's their favorite. Right. A lot of people say it's their favorite Jay Z album. Yeah, a lot of people say the favorite Jay Z album. A lot of people say it's a top three Jay Z album. You know what I'm saying? But like, you know, Rock Boys was in a hit, but it's dope as fuck. It's not a hit. Not no, not not, not, not numbers wise. Hits. Oh, yeah. right, 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 right. And, and Empire State of Mind. Right. Yeah. <laughs> also, feel like he doesn't get enough props for fuck Donald Trump. Like, obviously, you know, thinking of, of the world we're in right now and how strong that statement that was. Like, how did that come together? That he was gonna really he did that on his yeah. own. You yeah. know, and that's why I said one thing about YG. He's like. He always he's always growing, and you know he's he he's not always been like the most political person, yeah. but he felt something and he went in and spoke his mind about it, and then and, and stuck to it, and stuck to his guns, even with the pressure, even mm-hmm. with editing the song and all that they wanted him to do. E- even with editing the song, even with um you know the Secret Service reaching out asking to see the lyrics to the whole album, wow. you know what I'm saying? Like he could have went and done anything, he could have fell back, he just had it as like a viral song, he pushed to get it on his album. And he named his toy that, so like he's over yeah. there, like <laughs> he's camp- now he's got the Donald Trump pinata. He's yeah, pinata. Yeah, he's, he's campaigning, you know what I mean. <laughs> and, and 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 so to the kids, that's like Rock Boys. Like mm. that's not my probably the biggest hit, but right, that's, right, right. that song is probably the most important song in his career. It's taking off a life of his own. Wow, you think it's the most important song in his career? I mean, think about it. Like when mm. he does a show, he closes the show with "Fuck Donald Trump." He don't close with "Who Do You Love." He don't close with "My Nigga." He closes mm. with "Fuck Donald Trump," because that's what. 
it's getting to the people like that's what people feel and that's yeah. what hip-hop's about you know hip-hop's about expressing what the people are feeling and i feel really proud to be a part of something that was like pretty much one of the only protest records this year and definitely the only protest records mm -hmm. that were pushed like we pushed that as a yeah. record like you know what i mean we, as a single as a in, a record. in a time where like it's a lot of things going on like i was on a march i was on a march and um a black black lives Matter march i'll show you all the video later and um in la and um and we were marching in Inglewood, we shutting down the 405, and they, only two songs were chanted, and that was We Gonna Be Alright and Fuck Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. And when they started chanting Fuck Donald Trump, I was like, okay, cool. This mm -hmm. one, this is this is what it, <laughs> this is what it's all about. Right. Like this is this is why I'm in the music business mm -hmm. and I don't work for Goldman Sachs. Right, what you wanted to do, but I, <laughs> which, which, I, which I did. Nike Towns and all that. You wanted to work at Nike, right? That was no, I, I wanted to work in Nike Town, and I, and I interned for Goldman Sachs in high school. Right. Oh. So like in Fox News Channel, ironically. That cool. album, I was gonna say yep. that album was. Definitely, I think it might be my favorite rap album this year. So YG's second album. Yeah, absolutely. So why'd you yeah. did it again? Album of the year, two years. So in far, row? so good. Yeah. Not two yeah. years in a row. Two, other year, right? Yeah, off year. more or less. Yeah, I feel like we, we were number. Uh, we were we were number six on a Billboard list that came out the other day mm -hmm. in all genres. So like that, I'm, that's like what I still get nervous about. It's like those year end lists. Mm -hmm. Like I read all of them. You care about those? Oh yeah, yeah. Care, I read Rap Radar, I read Pitchfork, <laughs> New York Times. You we know hate what the list, but we have to do the yeah, list. Yeah. To stop with drama. It's like you start getting the ones. These are the ones that didn't make it. I'm like, I want, I want, I want two in there this year. You know what I mean? Mm. I want I want two yeah. albums in that motherfucker this year. Right. I, 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 I expect every list of album. Are you hearing that? You hear that? You hear that, Elliot? Yeah. Shit. <laughs> you know I just I, 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 and that's 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 always the goals. But number, being number one is nice, and having right. something like Donald Trump being so culturally relevant yeah. is really nice. Well, speaking of what's going on with you with this cameraman? And also, I think you took the fixed picture of. Uh, Bill Clinton and Travis Scott. What the hell were they talking about in Word. America, man? They look I, too happy to be chatting. I have no idea what they was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I was just there because what happened was um, um, we were we were talking and, and this, I forgot the guy's name, man. This politician came up to travel. He want to go meet the president. So the whole time I'm thinking like it was like um, Obama. <laughs> I'm thinking it's Obama. And we get there, it's like Bill Clinton. He's like, come with me, bring your camera. You know what I'm saying? So like we're getting close, we're getting close. And like and it was just like it was like a round table, like everybody in there. It's like Beyonce and Chance the Rapper and Carmelo Anthony. And I'm just <laughs> like, oh man, I, I've made it. <laughs> <laughs> but you pulled your camera out. You bold, man. You just pull your joint out like paparazzi, man. No, nah, I was scared. I was scared <laughs> because it was like it was like a round table with like Jay Z, Punch from TDE, right? Uh, Travis and like Bill Clinton just talking. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> you know what I mean? And they were all like kind of in there and like um. Punch's boy kind of tapped me like, yo, man, take the fucking photo. <laughs> <laughs> and, Get the and, picture camera, man. So, I, like, I take out my camera. My, my, you did a slick? Did you do a slick? I no. did a show. That's how you did it. Show no, like worse. If the camera died. Oh, man. So, I'm like, so Travis, like, keep looking at me. Like, give me the camera. I'm going to take the photo. Because he, <laughs> he wanted to just take the photos himself. Because he, like, he liked the, the, the grains of my, of my camera. He liked right, the, right. the structure. So, the other guy who was booked clinical photographer was like, why don't you take my camera? He, like, nah, I like six camera. I know how to use it. Da da da. Because Travis was the one who actually got me into, gave me the confidence to get in photography. And I'm going to tell you, after I tell the story, right? Mm -hmm. So then they gave me they gave me his phone. Like, you just take this phone. And he took the picture. And that's how the picture went viral. Yeah. Wow. And that's and like, I like I like taking photos because it's like, remember after the whole story of, of the ups and downs, I don't take any of this shit for granted no more. I don't mm -hmm. take any day for granted. I don't take this for granted. I know one day I'm going to be able to go back and I would like to see the pictures. Like, you might forget a day like this right mm. but if I have a photo of you guys then I'll never forget it 
You know what I'm saying? Yes, because sir. that'll put me right back to how I felt in that moment. And you know what's the craziest thing? You, you ever heard about digital archiving? You know what that's like? What do you mean? So, like, when our kids, when we die, our kids and grandkids are going to know exactly who we are based on who you are online. So all your Snapchats, your tweets, your Facebook messages, your Instagrams, yeah, all gonna, legacy, yeah. it's all going to be collected. And then people are going to look at that and feel like, this is who my grandfather mm. was. This is who my great uncle was. It's crazy, right? Right, man. Yeah. Think so, about it. Yeah, so I'm, I'm trying to document, I'm trying to curate mine so when they see mine, like, yo, my, <laughs> my granddad was dope. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, look at this shit, it was fly. So my I, granddad's Tumblr was lit. Yeah, but. exactly. <laughs> Back to the uh, Made in America with Travis and Bill. Did Bill even know his music or he even know who he, he was? He knew he was. That was tripping me out. Like, really? they were talking about the music. They were talking, it was just kicking it. Like, and Travis, it was a big day for Travis. He sent me a picture the other day, like, yo, make sure, like, you know, get this frame. So you Bill's know? like, I like that antidote. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> and Bill is a funny motherfucker, man. So they was over there cracking jokes. You know, I think like he was in there, you know, like that's kind of like Hillary. You want to be, have that approach. But I think it was dope that they were in the field like that. Yeah, that's yeah. crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, so like, I, love, I love taking the photos. Like I got, for 2017, my goal is to do a few galleries. You yeah. know what I mean? I want to do like a You're couple. You're doing a lot of black and white too, right? I think. Yeah, I read somewhere that like, you know, while some photographers are good at both, you better just to pick a color and stick with it. So like, I'd rather just try to get good. So last year, I was telling Travis I wanted to get into photography and he's really supportive like you know he's a great he's a great artist in multiple things so he's like if you're gonna do it do it black and white and do it on film so the whole 2015 I just shot on film cameras for the whole year mm. and then this year I bought this camera as a gift to myself to show like because this is digital it's like a point and shoot and then I was in, I'm just playing with different styles you yeah. know what I'm saying so like now I was trying to shoot like the black and white I'm trying to do the tour lifestyle photos and now what I'm doing is like a black and white paparazzi flash style which is cool so yeah. I'm gonna post it on you guys you guys are gonna see it on my Instagram yeah. it's gonna be like big bright like in your face this is really cool we in it oh man we out of here man it's too much sycamore too many jewels man oh I gotta thank you too my wife said hardcover but you contributed to that thank you so much for I that. think hardcover is such a genius idea man he I showed th- love with that man he, was, like, <laughs> he inspired us to actually get it done man when you had a great talk with her about it like what it really meant yeah cause I, I grew up you know remember I, if I wasn't in music I would be a journalist take, you take my job wouldn't you <laughs> <laughs> I'm not you, you would be the gold of hip hop journalist right. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not as good as a speaker as you are you know what I'm saying but I, w- I, w- I definitely would have been a journalist I would definitely probably work for a rap radar or yeah. I would have been like I still think I'm a journalist that's why yeah, I, yeah, I see that side coming out more of you that's what I'm saying with the cameras but I get you know I, when I used to blog for you I used to get in a lot of trouble like I had people who were really because I was very opinionated my writing style was very comparative Mm-hmm. You know yeah, what I'm yeah. saying? Oh yeah, what was your thing? His the he mix. made the big statement about Yeezy, Weezy, and Jeezy, right? Yeah, it was the, the new Biggie, Jay Z, and Nas for this generation. Yeah, yeah, right, right, yeah right. the power of Yeezy, Weezy, and Jeezy at that time, and like to really frame it against the Biggie, Jay, and Nas, it was like that was a controversial statement back then. But people lost their shit. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Early days. And so after a while, after doing that, and like, because other people who were right, they don't have to see people like in the office. So like, imagine you wrote something <laughs> about somebody, then have a meeting with them the next day. They're looking. And shoot like you know, right, <laughs> like, right, what's up right. with this guy? So I was like, you know what? I got to find another medium, and I couldn't find that creative medium until um I did this. But I'm gonna start a blog though. I'm gonna start writing again. I'm Ooh, just gonna dope. it's, it's called uh, I'm just gonna, like sycamore.co, and I'm just gonna just start posting about stuff. I just but it's like I gotta be like real easy about it, like what yeah. I post about. But I have opinions on shit, so I won't be like I'm like gonna be like Pete Rose. I'm not gonna like really talk about the game. <laughs> <laughs> I think you should self publish something like hardcover though. You should self publish yeah. your, your work too, because then you always one thing to have life. 
even though it's such a digital age though to have that tangible book though like that'll be there forever too yeah that would Some be dope books. I, want, I, want, I want to do that every year I want to do like have a little book sell all my photos and send it to my friends my family frame photos you know what I'm saying yeah. just to have those memories because I feel like if I just keep taking photos in like 20, 10, 5, 10, 50 because like I look at old photos from like the 90s mm. and some of the photos aren't the illest photos but they just like you factor you even have a photo of him doing that right, like right. You saw, I remember this one Biggie photo in particular he's just chilling there and there's like a tape recorder there and he's just kind of zoned out it's just dope that you had like a black and white Biggie so yeah. like I, I like all these photos I'm taking with Travis and YG and these generations and you know you guys is gonna it's gonna be big like we're gonna look back like man like, I remember that shirt man I remember having that thing right. like you know what I mean like it's it's it's, 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 it's it's on, and, I, and, and I'm getting a lot of support from the photography community. You know what I mean? Like the like the Ravens, the Van Styles. Yeah. Happy birthday, Raves. Happy right. birthday, Raves. You know what I mean? Uh, Rennell, I think, is incredible. Yep. Uh, this girl, Yumna, who does a lot, a lot, a lot of Middle East. It's just incredible. Young creatives. Young creators, and they give me a lot of support. They give me a lot of tips. Like, yo, this is how you got to store your photos. This is what mm. you got to do. It's really, really sick. So, like, I, I, I really appreciate that support of the photography community because I take that real <laughs> serious. So, like, you know, one day maybe I'm just like, you know what I mean? I'm just a, phot- I'm just a, <laughs> I'm just a photographer full time with calligraphers. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, anything music-wise we should look out for there? You got some surprise signing you going to do for Christmas or something? Any final thing you want to say music-wise or... Again, how can these young artists get sick of more? The dream would be sick of more. The A and R their project. Like, was there anything they can do to catch your eye? Um, yeah, just <laughs> just kind of reach out. You know, what I mean, I think I'm I'm think I'm like more accessible than most of the guys because like I'm like in the mix a lot. Yep. You know, what I'm saying just like, but just come up there. Don't just come up with numbers. Talk about like what the vision is for the project. You know, what I'm saying because the guys I work with have a lot of vision. You know what I'm saying, and I like to make like bets and like. My my 2017 bet is going to be New York City. Yeah, I think, you were saying that. Okay, so I yeah, think New York, back to New York. I think in 2017. You know, somebody, my friend was telling me, explaining to me, my friend Fadia, who does like protecting magic, she broke down to me. She was like, you know, numerology. A 2017 is a year of completion. Mm-hmm. It's seven plus one plus two. You know what I mean? That's what the year it comes home. So I, I really believe 2017 is going to be the year where New York City comes out and is another is a superpower again. Vida's mm. excited, I'm, man. I like dream, what, man. I like Don Q. I like Davies. I like what A Boogie's doing. Yeah, young and May, young and May. You know, yeah. I think I think if you if you look at everything that's going on and you think of all the other intangibles, like the you got to think of something like Hamilton. You know, what I mean, mm-hmm. popping up. All this stuff works with each other. The art scene is really going crazy. Like I went to Sotheby's the other day for like a David Bowie event. It was like popping. Then you got to go. The design scene is doing great. Then the sports is exciting. We have the most exciting. Um, Nick's got a little energy yeah, now. We got, we got the most exciting Rose, football yeah. player in the whole game. Like, when's the last time? That's the most exciting football player in the history of the Giants. You know, oh, maybe they, an argument LT. The most <laughs> exciting <laughs> most exciting offensive player we ever had. You know yeah, what I'm saying? The okay. Knicks have a new look. The Yankees got a new kid. Gary Sanchez is really killing it. Like, we got to... It's the whole city's, like, cracking right now, it's man. Renaissance. Fa- fabulous. We got Sycamore back, man. <laughs> 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 they got more wins. Word yeah, up. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's for 2017. If I have to make a bet, if you, you know, if I have to give me these stock tips, man, I'll <laughs> I'll, I'll bet on New York. So, you yeah, know. Man. We'll always bet on Sycamore, man. Yes, Creative mind, man. Thank you so much, man. This was a pleasure, man. Oh, yeah. This is fun. Yeah, you. man. Sycamore Rap Radar Podcast. We out of here. Wrap it up. Yeah. Yes, sir.